Yeah, so there might be a bit of rain. But It'll it's be okay. a nice ambient background music. Exactly. Yeah. Very good. You were just about to tell me a story. Why don't you just go for it? So I was, I was just saying that I've already done one podcast. Well, I called it a podcast, but it's not really, it's not really up yet anywhere. <laughs> it just exists. But basically, me and my friend from work, Santi, went for a walk into uh, the Lake District in November last year, which is the best time for a walk in the Lake District. Why? It was cold or what? It was constantly raining. Mm. <laughs> like, we went for four days. We were staying in, te- in a tent. It was kind of nice because there was no one else there, obviously, because why would you do it? Because other people are clever and we're stupid. But anyhow, so we went there and so, because I was kind of, so I was trying to, I couldn't really, so you didn't really have coverage on your phone, so most of the time. So it was difficult to kind of, and also like battery, right? So it was difficult to kind of communicate with people. And like, I was, I was kind of thinking like, oh, how could I communicate with like my boyfriend? So I was like... So I started, so I've recorded myself one morning, just like speaking to him or like speaking about what happened. And then I'm like, oh my God, we can totally make this into a thing. So then kind of every evening or like in the morning or whenever we felt like it, we just like recorded ourselves talking. Like we started with a song that we sang together. (laughs) Sometimes, most of the time we don't know the lyrics. Sometimes I do sing in Italian and I'm singing in like Slovak or something. But anyway, so then we just like recorded these things about what happened. And I like, it's quite nice. So I might, I think I'm going to put it up somewhere. Oh yeah, that's awesome. Wait, so how long ago was that? Uh, I think it was, it was November if I'm not mistaken. Last year. How many days in a row? It was just four days. It wasn't like very long. Oh, and you did it over the phone? Or what? Yeah, I just recorded it on my phone. Yeah, yeah. Like recorded most of it on the phone. Now I put it on the computer and like it seems okay-ish. How long is each episode? It's about like, I think they go up to like 10 minutes. And it's just like oh, jokes nice. that we developed and like things that happened. That's like awesome. when I, I fell in totally the lake and stuff. <laughs> you fell in the lake? Kind Well, a little bit. Kind of. I don't know. I kind of slipped into like a, it's not a, it wasn't a lake. It was like a swamp. Kind of. A little bit. Well, it looked a bit like Lord of the Rings because there was like I would totally barren listen. landscapes. <laughs> I would totally listen to that. Podcast. Santi's also very Italian, so he's like your, and very your funny. boyfriend. No, he's not my boyfriend. He's my friend. Oh, okay. Got it. So I was recording. So it started the idea emerged in my head as like something that I can then send to my boyfriend so that he knows oh, what's happening. Oh, okay. Course, but it was okay. me and my friend on a walk. Yeah. Nice. I would totally listen to that. that it's cool. called the Bros of Cool. <laughs> That's the podcast name. Cool. So have you always thought about podcasting? Like, never. No. no. Okay. Never. It's just, I don't even know what it properly means. Right. To be honest. All it means is making an audio recording. Exactly. And then, and then like, sharing it with people. Like, yeah. I'm going to record this. <clears throat> and then, oh, people call it podcast these days. I've heard of these things. I'll call it the podcast. You should totally make a podcast too. I will, yeah, I will, I will put it up. I mean, it sounds like you've already up. started. You should just keep it, keep it going. <laughs> exactly. It's like it naturally merged. <clears throat> Do you listen to podcasts? Not, ve- not very often, but I've actually, and I've always thought that I'm not very good at retaining information when I just hear it mm. or that I, that I can pay attention to mm. it when I hear it. But actually listening to like a couple changed my mind recently. Mm. So like, I don't know if they're actually podcasts. Yeah. One of them was actually one that like uh, my friend Cam from Plan C sent me and it was about, it was on BBC. It was called, um, in our time and mm. it was about anarchism. It was very, very interesting because it was kind of, uh, in a way, it was kind of dispersing a lot of kind of stereotypical notions about anarchism. And also I felt like, I felt like this is something I feel my heart is close to, but I never, but if somebody would uh, like ask me to define what anarchism means, I didn't feel confident in saying I'm an anarchist because I didn't feel like I 
know exactly what it means, okay. if you know what I mean. Yeah, sure. And I felt like that was, like, it was quite a nice one because they, like, mentioned a little bit of history, not too much. It was very, quite short and very nice and tidy. And, and now of, do you understand what anarchism is? I think a little bit more, maybe, yeah. And also, like, I'm quite interested in, like, because when I say that to people, people react quite, like... Oh my god, you don't know what anarchism yeah, like, is? And like, oh, you live in, like, you're renting a house. How can you be an anarchist and all this shit? Like, oh, really? <laughs> you know, like, Who you're not that? living in a squat, so what? Or these kind of things. Or like, or they just are scared of it, I think. Hmm. Whereas, like, I don't, like, there was plenty of, like, people who developed the theory and stuff who weren't, like, they were, like, regular. Yeah. So I don't even know whether why it should be something, like like, like, incredibly different from... A regular person mm. um, and like to me the only thing that it means really is that like from what I can see like if you're involved in a in a like structure like a system or a structured <clears throat> kind of organization it's much easier to do things that you wouldn't do if you only had your own conscience to to kind of answer to mm. that's what it means for me okay. or that's what I like about the idea of not like of not relying on these kind of structures like the criminal justice system or something yeah. like that to kind of control yeah. people. Yeah, yeah, totally. totally. Or to discourage them, in quotes. Like, I think that's generally a better way of thinking about and dealing with these sort of ideologies just as sort of guiding kind of styles, right? Uh, yeah. I think that's much more valuable and interesting than being overly concerned with all the little bullet points that are in or not in these, like, larger ideologies. So I agree with you. I think that's, like, the main the main gist of it. Just, like, a general ethos of autonomy and kind of uh, doing things outside of mainstream systems and in opposition to mainstream systems, right? Yeah. Um, I'm down with that. I don't think I could ever... Um, I don't think I could ever too seriously call myself or, like, associate with or identify with, like, any of these, like, big isms. To be honest. This is the thing uh, okay. as well, very very much so. Like I find it useful in as much as it, as it like begins a conversation about what my stance is on a specific point, you know. But I don't find it useful. Like I hate saying these things. Like I am a communist, or I am an anarchist, or I am a, I am a Buddhist, or whatever the hell <laughs> yeah, you want to be. Yeah. Like it's because it generally just derails people's idea about you. Yeah, definitely. to a completely wrong place. Yeah, it like forecloses um, relationship building. From the beginning, right? By sort of... Because people often... And this is sort of, I think, endemic in especially left-wing circles. People always think they sort of can assume what someone thinks or what their attitudes or feelings are based on these, like, very superficial markers. You know, the words they use to describe themselves or even just how they dress. Um, And, I mean, that's just so obviously stupid. I mean, it's not even like a... I'm not even upset or, you know, indignant about it. It's just so obviously painfully uh, stupid and childish, right? That whenever I, I'm very allergic to that, not because I'm allergic to symbols or identities or anything like that. Um, I'm certainly not, you know, it's not, I'm, what I'm not saying like I'm a special individual snowflake heart and I refuse to be, redu- <laughs> I refuse to be reduced to like a larger group uh, structure or identity. I, no, I'm not above that at all. It's more just that whenever I see this type of, this sociology, like the sociology of sorting by little tribes, uh, whenever you see it taking place, to me at least, uh, it so obviously indicates uh, a really kind of uh, not very intelligent and certainly not very dangerous or uh, creative uh, process 
And so I just kind of run for the door whenever that type of sorting uh, takes place. And I think what it really does is it prevents people from being able to really create new ways of thinking and speaking. Um, I mean, you see this in left-wing sort of groups and, and uh, cultures all the time. It's like you can't even make a new thought. You, like, you mm-hmm. can't even say a, a, a new idea um, because from the first few words of your first sentence, people sort of feel very confident that they know where you're going with it mm-hmm. and you're kind of dismissed in their mind before you can even try to sketch what is perhaps a more complicated uh, novel yeah. novel argument or, or, or proposal that they've perhaps never quite heard before that people are convinced that they have heard it before and they think they know, everyone thinks that they know sort of the correct response uh, or rebuttal to every other sort of possible position in left-wing circles and so it's, it's like this kind of ridiculous game where people are constantly basically assuming they already know what other people are thinking and that they've chosen their position and their sort of place in these debates precisely because they're so confident they already know what other people have to say. And then so it's like these cultures just become everyone basically kind of running in place. It's like everyone is running in in the place that they feel most comfortable in while they almost want to enforce everyone else to keep running in their place. Uh, Whereas like if you actually try, if you actually, if what your real mission is, is to try to cut through this sort of dead weight and this inertia and try to say like, okay, can we actually build radical and deep, autonomous organic relationships between human beings and come up with new ideas and and modes of being sort of new styles of of doing things together that is fundamentally different and better than these these sort of inherited ways um you kind of don't make sense it's like you don't even register yeah there's not really even a way of saying that um because the only the only coin of the realm is these sort of already known uh, kind of ideologies and, and, and markers and, and, and placeholders. Uh, so that, I mean, that's kind of how I would describe how I kind of feel about trying to navigate uh, sort of left-wing culture and stuff like that. I mean, I'd be curious to hear what you think, because we were just talking before about this before the podcast, yeah. but why don't you, yeah, what do you think? It reminds, like, two things came to my mind, one of which is, you know, the thing you mentioned about, you know, assuming you know what people are going to say from the get-go and kind of it just reminds me of what we talk talk about in in therapy or in psychology which Mm. is rather that you're what you're doing is not listening you're already preparing your response yeah so at the moment so there's some sort of a weird competition going on of of who can be more clever or i don't know what it is but of like not even listening to to let someone finish what they're actually talking about before you've already prepared your cleverer (laughs) Mm. your more clever your better response to it or your own stance that's different there it, and it's like it seems like a bit of an obsession with being different or being you know unique or in so i don't know it's really strange and another thing that came to my mind as well was this like i've i've just come to the point in thinking about this to that i can i'm i'm completely disinterested in anything that separates people at this stage mm. it, on all levels like whether it's um politics or or not or whatever it is but I just, like, things that just serve to kind of distance people from each other and from and separate them from one another just don't lead anywhere. Or lead to kind of really unhappy and, like, awful places. Mm. And, and, and you can't really build anything from that. Mm. So I'm really disinterested in these arguments about, like, oh, have you heard about this group? Well, 
yeah, they know what they're asking for, but they're not really clear about that. It was like, well, you know, if, if that is the case, even within like shades of difference within the left, that they can't, that we can't actually communicate with each other in a kind way, you know, mm-hmm. then, then like how, how, how is anything going to happen? That's a kind of, what was that expression? Orchestrated way of, of, of creating an alternative even. Yeah, I agree with that. I would even go as far as to say that in general with all human beings, whenever I whenever I see people in any type of group or formation, even just individuals, objecting to what someone else is doing, that itself is almost a, uh, a, a very good signal of the fact that there's sort of, uh, that it's like not interesting and that it's, it's a kind of reactionary... Uh, well, I mean, it's almost by definition reactionary, right? Yeah. Like when you, when your mind is objecting to what someone else is doing, you're respecting that thing that you're objecting to, right? You're kind of uh, fixating on it. You're mm-hmm. you're paralyzing yourself in some sense. Uh, some someone I really like is uh, the French philosopher Gilles Deleuze, and he has a, he says really brilliant things about this. He says uh, I, I'm paraphrasing, but he says something like, um, you know, that there's never any reason to object to anything. It's like if someone says something that you're not interested in, just go a different direction mm-hmm. or find some, find some common ground that you can do something interesting with. And so he, I'm kind of more into that perspective. It's like, I just try to go around the world looking for weapons, like looking for energies, looking for dangerous sort of openings in the status quo, dangerous types of possible new types of relationships that are more interesting and more powerful and uh, riskier and, more sort of subversive. I mean, and when I, whenever I come across a person or a group that strikes me as boring or uh, politically uninteresting or politically problematic or wrongheaded or whatever you want to call it, I just dodge it and go yeah. a different direction. Yeah. Uh, but I try really hard to give as little energy, mental sort of, and physical energy as possible to everything that I disagree with. <laughs> and I yeah. just try to save all of my energy for just going at the people I'm interested in, the projects I'm interested in and my own kind of like flourishing. And I think to a lot of people that will, that often looks kind of like individualistic or uninterested in the collective struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not actually, I think that's actually the most faithful and loving way to care about the collectives that you are a part of. Yeah. Um, by not allowing yourself to get fixated on shit. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've been, uh... Actually, just yesterday I was talking to Cam, um, my friend, um, and we were talking about this because, so because I, I work in mental health and mm. um, and I also uh, found and I had my own experiences with uh, you know mental unhealth and mental health and I mean it's quite a fluid thing so um, I think we're all all been on the side of being mentally unwell in some point in some way or another, but anyhow. Um, we were discussing this thing about, um, for, for example, like to be completely honest, for me, the like I have been in, in the NHS kind of um, CBT style thing. I've also had a different kind of therapy and all these things. And, um, and to be perfectly honest, the, the one thing that actually really, I felt like the only thing that actually really, really helped in terms of especially anxiety in my life was, uh, was like daily meditating. Hmm. And I mean... This, again, will bring up a whole load of assumptions or I don't know what, and I'm just not even going to choose to engage with that. Right, right. Because whatever. But um, 
whatever that means for whoever it, it actually so so this kind of a, a kind of a daily ritual in uh, in like actively trying to address that anxiety through this way worked for me for yeah. whatever reason yeah. and we were kind of discussing this thing about about helping or about like providing help for people who have mental health issues or, or, or just, or as you said as well before, like most of us are not what you would call emotionally well. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. at all, like functioning to a high degree doesn't mean you're emotionally well. Right. It's not flourishing. It's just functioning. And yeah. I think, I feel like definitely like absolutely most of us. I definitely think most people are, are in that uh, some type of mentally ill. Yeah. yeah. Whether they know it or not. And just some of them are, some forms of being mentally ill get you paid. <laughs> yeah. You know, some don't. Or not even uh, ill, but I also think like we've, we've um, reduced our expectations for ourselves so low that just functioning, but not feeling really well specifically in your mm -hmm. life or in yourself or in the way that you are is like, okay for us. Oh, it's okay, like almost so when, the most thing that we can hope for. When you I say, mean the, the higher level of like actually feeling like, what yeah, you mentioned yeah. before, like joyful, like alive, like, Right, well, like, you know, okay. like okay. better than just... So okay. you're talking about, um, when you say, what do you mean, who do you mean when you say us? You know, people like us or people in sort of radical circles or what do you... I would say absolutely most people. Most people, yeah, yeah. Um, no, Obviously I, I have no way of knowing no, what think, most people are, but I genuinely feel it's like most people. I think, I think you're totally right. I, and I think the only, I think one of the main differences though is some, it's like our society does not really give human beings pathways to proper mental health. But it's this sort of game where you kind of choose what type of mental illness <laughs> you want to have, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, some people choose what are basically profitable ways of being mentally mm -hmm. ill, and they become CEOs and shit like that, right? Yeah. Uh, and that looks like it's functioning. That looks like it's... Uh, and, in fact, a lot of people call that health because um, that is, in our society's image, uh, the closest you can kind of get to health, uh, which is just sort of frantic activity that leads to money and power, right? Uh, but that is psychopathy <laughs> that is like that is a serious kind of um it's not like a it's not like a mental well-being it's a kind of way of coping with deep-seated problems and uh anxieties and stress yeah. and all this kinds of stuff in a way that uh you know gets you to rush through your life and make some money but it's not a reckoning with mental yeah. well-being and it's certainly not arriving at any kind of wellness um whereas then you have people who uh, for whatever reason, whether they choose to or, or for other reasons, just can't can't sort of go into this kind of psychopathic, profitable form of uh, mental illness that is kind of you know uh, financial success. Will go into uh, a kind of refusal to cope in that way, or mm -hmm. or, or an inability to whatever the case might be, um, and then we we just don't know what to do. Right? <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like, and there is nothing to do. So it's like the only yeah. So so I I totally agree with you, and it's like we all come up with different ways of coping, yeah. but none of us, very few of us anyway, like really know true mental health, like simple well-being, like as you were describing. I totally agree with you. Yeah. Like, like who, who do you know who would say, my life is good? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, guess some, I guess some people would. Um, but often I think that is because people feel like they're obligated to be grateful for what they have, mm -hmm. you yeah, know, or lucky. So it's We're like, so lucky, right? Yeah. 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 It seems like immodest to say my life is not good when you, when you are lucky to have some things. Yeah. Um, but fuck it. Like I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think you see that people like, I'm not happy with my life. Yeah. Um, I'm grateful for what I have and I have lots of good things for sure, but I'm definitely not 
well, and I don't know how to be. <laughs> Especially considering that, like, globally, I mean, not that I know much about this, but I feel like globally and as a human race, we've got to the point where there really shouldn't be anyone lacking at this stage in anything, you know? Mm-hmm. If, if the structures were different or if the system was different, there is enough, like, raw material and resources to actually, for us all to have, like, a considerable amount of, like, well-being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah There's definitely. no reason for like most people to be basically slaves at this stage. <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. feel like. I mean apart from like a uh, the structural one. But health is an interesting like con- concept, I guess, as well, because I was recently reading the um socially socialist patients collectives uh communique, I think they call it. It's a it's a piece of writing, but it was basically in the in 1970 it was a collective that was comprised of um, psychiatric patients at a specific uh, clinic in a, mm. in a university hospital um, in Germany. I think it was Eastern Germany, but I might be wrong. And um, they kind of, along with a few psychiatrists, uh, kind of got together and, 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 and did a lot of kind of consciousness raising style things. So talked about their actual experience of the healthcare system or what it means to be insane what it means to be considered deemed like mentally completely ill mm. uh, and out of the normal functioning of society, like no work, like you can't mm. work and, and, and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, and kind of came to the conclusion that actually like capitalism as a system is like at the root of like most of their problems mm. and kind of their <clears throat> the way of talking about health was interesting because they were kind of saying like, again, now I'm paraphrasing, they were kind of saying that health is like a through and through bourgeois concept because it basically is it serves to define like if you're healthy it means that you can go to work so you can produce things and then as soon as you can't produce things you're deemed unhealthy Mm -hmm. so at that point the kind of uh, the the role of the state or whoever is meant to be caring for you is to either get you healthy enough just healthy enough to go back to work which is what we see now yeah. completely. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's pushed back to work. That's and totally it's dressed CBT. up as good for that's your CBT. fucking well-being, which that's, is not That's totally good. CBT. Yeah. So here's some tip, tips and tricks to uh, get over your shit just enough to be able to function. To so like go yeah, to yeah. work every day and get up. And if that isn't possible, if you're deemed so damaged that it's actually impossible to kind of get you back to work, then the next kind of uh, goal of the system becomes to just maintain your life because now we have human rights in some parts of the world like maintain you alive at the least possible cost and then you know i was reading this and then the next day cameron or whoever or osborne announced like their further cuts to the benefits of like disability living allowance it's just like fuck me no it's really true but I, i actually wonder if there's like a radical kind of opening here because when you look at it from a certain perspective it's like our society is filled with psychopaths and mentally unwell unwell people i mean including most of the people in power these people are not you know i think we often delude ourselves by imagining that you know politicians and you know all the power holders are these sort of like you know in control savvy manipulative oppressors right uh but really they're just kind of like idiot children who Mm -hmm. are kind of uh on the inertia of their own uh mental illnesses in some sense that like i was saying before they've just happened to figure out a way to channel their their own insanity into kind of profitable and powerful channels. But maybe this is actually really interesting and and potentially liberating because 
if it is, if this is the case, if, you, if, if that is, if that's a reasonable way to describe things, then it's like all of the people in control and in power suddenly become way less intimidating, right? And yeah. they're way less sort of, and it's more just like everyone is fucking crazy. And if we can just between us, even in just little things like this, like relationship building with one person and then with two people and then building that circle, right? Um, and, and having multiple overlapping circles like that, where we're just not crazy together, you know, where we can just simply call things as we see it, actually be able to call bullshit on all the, you know, um, the truths and the so-called realities that we're supposed to believe in, but th that are obviously stupid. And, uh, and most people know that, but there, if we're not able to constitute a re an alternative reality, then we're not able, then we have no basis for, uh, really kind of, uh, calling bullshit on the bullshitters. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you know what I mean? Um, like, so long as we, we don't carve out our own sort of alternate reality, and that sounds very sort of woo-woo, uh, right? <laughs> that sounds like very kind of almost mystical. It's not mystical at all. I'm just saying that um, if we can simply learn how to be well together, that I, I really can't even think of an actually more radical project in some sense. Yeah. And it's not easy. I mean, no one knows yeah. really how to do that. Like, no one's doing that yeah. quite yet. Yeah. Um, in some sense, if you're lucky, you have that between some friends, maybe one or two friends, maybe, you know, maybe maybe one or two people in your family you're really close to or whatever. A lot of people don't even have that. A lot of people don't even have best friends or people in their exactly. family that they feel truly, you know, truly at, at peace with and at, at one with. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think once you start talking like this to, to activists and sort of people in radical circles, you start to sound kind of, you know, I think that you alluded to this before that sort of uh, certain assumptions are made and people can be kind of derisive. It's like, it sounds very like lifestyle politics and people mm -hmm. will use this kind of language to make fun of this way of thinking and speaking that you and I have talked about before. Um, but if you really think about it, the actual project of constructing truly disalienated relationships with people, even just a handful of them, not only is that massive project and significant um, in, in, in the effects that that could have in literally building alternative realities in some sense that are the basis for doing all kinds of creative, dangerous other types of projects. But it's, it's totally underestimated how hard that is. Mm. People assume that they already have decent relationships. Uh, like I don't think any, very few people want to really acknowledge the, the, how, how sad and kind of scary is the, their state of generalized, constant disalienation and lack of pre presence between mm. them and other people. Do you know what I mean? Um, like sometimes when I try to talk about the stuff to other people in radical circles, I'll often sort of get a response like, well, come on, Justin. It's not like, it's not like the problem is inside of us. You know, it's like the, the yeah. problem is capitalism and status mm. quo and everything's fucked up. We have to figure out a way to change it. Uh, it's not that we have to like look inside ourselves deeper. Uh, and people will say that with such confidence, but to me that I, I totally disagree. I mean, I feel like why should the problem not be in ourselves just as much? Um, and I, yeah, so I don't know, I guess maybe I'm not driving to anything too significant there, but there's something there. I think it's touching on these things that are constantly playing, playing on my mind. One of which is like, um, individual kind of like a privatization of problems, right. Of, uh, which is going back to, you know, how we approach even mental unwellness mm. or on, you know, yeah, just well-being, um, is, is the approach of, yeah, kind of telling you that you, you have a problem, you're broken in some way as an individual. Mm. So here are some tools to help you kind of fix yourself enough to just become functional again. Mm. 
which is that that is pretty much at the heart of cognitive behavioral therapy Mm -hmm. or like most therapy actually i think and so like what i want to see or what what would be really exciting is to use that point which is not a point of weakness because i think the way we're in which we're breaking down emotionally and mentally is is exactly where the 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 disease of the system is coming through if you know what i mean yeah 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 Uh, so coming from that point kind of if we, it's really good to provide people with tools that they can cope better with life with, obviously. That's really good because it's empowering. But I want to see that being taken further into like a collective thing of, uh, into a political place, for lack of a better word, into right. a place of, yes, there might be, you know, unhelpful coping me- mechanisms you've developed as an individual, but also what, I, what are they a reaction to? Mm-hmm. Well, what are your actual living conditions and why they're the way they are? that are kind of causing you all this anxiety or all this depression or all this... Totally, totally. And I agree with that. I think the issue is that people, most people in radical circles, when they hear us talk like this, they just think to themselves, like, this is just people who want to take care of themselves, and it's basically kind of just selfish. And, exactly, that's uh, what I want to do. Yeah, yeah. No, and I agree. And and I, I, I totally disagree with that, with that uh, sort of uh, knee-jerk uh, interpretation of what we're saying. That this, because it, it has nothing to do with, obviously self-care is, is part of it. And that's, you know, a, a, its own sort of lineage of, of thought and, and practice in, in radical politics. But it's not even just that. It's like that, how do I put it? It's like to try to figure out the puzzle of mental health is not just to make our lives better so we can be happier people in our little groups. It's not, but that's how it's seen, but that's not at all what it is. No. It's a matter of figuring out, like, it's actually figuring out perhaps the key, I think, I actually think it is probably the key question because it is basically how does the status quo get inside of our fucking brains like a fucking virus? Yeah. And how do we get it the fuck out? Yeah. And when we, and if we can figure that out and we can actually build relationships based on like fundamental truths and, and a, a deeper reality that... Uh, you know, compared to, to the insane bullshit one. And again, if you see everyone running around society as psychopaths who are in their own ways kind of stupid and childish idiots, uh, it suddenly becomes way more kind of interesting and exciting, mm. you know? Because it's almost like... More flexible. Well, yeah, and it's, it, because it's like, if we can just figure out our own mental health in a really clear, specific way and base our relationships on, like, profound honesty and disalienation... It's almost like we, you can imagine ourselves starting to float above um, the, 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 the psychopathy that defines most things in the world. And then we can go out into all of our other relationships, our families, yeah. our, um, you know, our, our coworkers, right? Um, and we, based on a sort of disalienated set of collective relationships and good mental health, we would have this sort of extraordinary social power. Yeah. You know, um, it would be almost a kind of like a magic, like, we, it, well, I mean, in some sense it's charisma, right? And charisma has a bad rap in, in sort of the history of, of politics because it's always, it's historically exploited by fascists, right? So, um, but the ability to basically go to your family members, to conservative people, you know, to your neighbors, to, uh, you know, coworkers, whatever it might be. And to actually, for people to look at you and to be like, Hmm, let's see this person, there's just something extra sort of light in their step. They seem to be totally in control. They seem to be totally at peace. 
They seem to really understand what's going on in themselves and around them. And, hmm, look at that. They actually happen to be explicitly, uh, you know, revolutionaries. Yeah. Who are saying these, like, really crazy, dangerous things about the status quo, which, you know, six months ago, I thought only stupid, you know, dirty uh, hipster kids talked like that. But although some of us are still, like myself, is still kind of a dirty hipster kid, (laughs) but we might now actually be able to embody a kind of uh, new type of presence in some sense. Uh, and, And based on the actual dynamics that we're able to cultivate in our relationships. Because I don't know about you, but when things are going well in my personal, like in my emotional life with friends and stuff like that, that's when I'm most fucking dangerous. That is when I'm mo- that's when my mind is, is most firing with interesting, creative, kind of resistant, rebellious ideas. And that's when I'm most willing to take risks. Uh, that's when I'm most sort of revolutionary in some sense is when my relationships are most desalinated and satisfying and, and energizing. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. So, so to me, that's the, the, the concrete kind of uh, empirical model, if you will, of how mental health and, and basically focusing on mental health as basically the, the beginning and the end in some sense of all we really need to do at this stage uh, to be able to uh, in, initiate and kind of ignite all of these kinds of uh, revolutionary dynamics, basically, that play out through relationships and through how we actually carry ourselves throughout you know, our, all the different sort of positions in society that we occupy. Um, I feel like that's a, that's a totally defensible kind of political program in some sense. Uh, it's not just about like making our, ourselves feel better. It's about like, this is actually the way to change the world. Yeah. I would think I I actually more and more. I actually think that I am like, I consider myself an example of that because when I heard you talk about something similar before, what really, really cool. And in fact, even before I heard more, you're more of a coherent um, argument. What you were always pointing out was, um, I'm not interested in anything that doesn't bring me joy. And at <laughs> first, it's just like shocking almost to hear this. Because it sounds like selfish. How yeah. exactly? How how like how? Who do, who says that? Mm. I don't even know what it is, but like nobody would say that. It's like <laughs> <laughs> nobody would actually say that ever. I mean, in the from the people I know or the circles I'm in, and and that just like kind of shocked me. And then and I was just thinking like exactly what why and and that really caught my attention and that really drew me in to kind of find out more about what you might want what you might have to say about that and and this i think is it's it's a complete myth but it's so deeply entrenched in us this idea that if you care about yourself or if you try to um you know increase your well-being or make it make it better or in some way in some way you know be happier be joyful that that would would lead or stay or remain in a place of selfishness Mm -hmm. it's complete bullshit because it's not actually how it operates Mm. and now we're not i think it's also like what do we mean by being well i don't think being well is you know the idea that is sold to us that being well is being able to buy things or to be to be well is to be able to go for holidays that's not what i mean Mm. like being well in in the way of what you said having connections with people that are you know that are kind and joyful and like energizing having, having those experiences on a daily basis, whether it's with other people or yourself of like, just yeah, feeling joyful and kind of free, I guess, which sounds like really kind of trite maybe, but like, Mm -hmm. that's the way I can describe it. 
it never you never stay in a place of selfishness through mm, that mm-hmm. like from my experience through that process you don't remain just revolving around yourself right. you just don't you start to it's contagious and right. it influences people around you yeah. and it draws them in and mean. inevitably you start to connect and you kind of start to you know communicate and exchange ideas mm. and there is an energy that starts to kind of go between you and other people. I don't mm-hmm. think it ever has a potential to stay isolated. No, that's a really good it's point. It's not the it's, way it works. No, yeah, it's like, there's a, it's like there's a kind of typical everyday status quo form of selfishness, which is like, yeah, just get a nice house for yourself, fill it with nice things, and fuck everyone else and just, you know, yeah. uh, be a cutthroat competitor um, to win in the game of capitalism. That That's sort of like typical selfishness. So, of course, selfishness gets a bad rap for that reason. Yeah, because it's, it's fucked up to think like that. But... There is a kind of honest selfishness, like just self-love, really. Yeah. It's like actually valuing yourself, actually caring about yourself, actually saying to yourself and being being willing to say to others, like, I'm trapped in this fucking body. I'm like made to be an individual body. I didn't choose to be individualistic. I didn't choose to... Yes, ideally, I would live in like a healthy community and would be one member of in a larger organism of which I am a sort of, uh, you know, equal component and I would not even feel myself as an individualized body like sure that sounds beautiful that's probably healthier right Uh, but unfortunately we were born into this society where we are we have these sort of uh, individual structures imposed on us and we are sitting in this cockpit in our brain right Uh, whether that's real or not that is what is imposed on us as how we have to experience our bodies Um, and so it's like so long as that's the case people like people should say yeah I only have this one fucking life making this life a good and true life and making this life worth living for me is one of my top goals. <laughs> and I don't give a fuck if you think that's selfish. Absolutely. Um, and the irony is that that actually is the only real basis from which one can be a actually powerful revolutionary force. Because if you don't love yourself enough, then you don't have the energy or the power or the basis to make any waves because you're just kind of, uh, you're like floating, right? You need to be able to sort of put your two feet down and say like, I love myself enough that anything that's going to fuck with my life is an enemy and I'm going to fucking fight it. You know that, and that, that's actually, that's actually interesting when you think about it, because then the problem becomes not that we're too selfish. The problem is actually that we we're not selfish enough. Mm. Uh, and I, I actually think people don't love themselves enough to become revolutionary. And so it's like it, what people probably need is like a more selfishness, a deeper kind of selfishness so that they actually value themselves enough to, f- to say, fuck all of this bullshit. I'll risk everything I can so that I might have a chance at living a true life because I'm fucking worth it. Um, but people are very, people are too modest. <laughs> people it are too actually, modest to say that. Yeah. yeah. So it actually no, no. ends up being, I think it ends up being the most, possibly the most responsible thing to do. Because um, it just reminds me, I've been to a conference recently. That's the bi- it was a big European conference on addiction and disorders, addiction and addiction disorders essentially. So there were lots of things talked about. There was one really kind of striking, kind of uh, just for me a striking kind of visual thought that was that they were saying, you know, on average, like an average person who becomes addicted to a substance, and obviously that affects their life to a huge extent will affect the life, like, profoundly and deeply. Mm. Affect the life of another, at least of another five people. Mm. So, I, I kind of, that that just really kind of stuck with me, and I was thinking, 
yes, like if, <laughs> if you take care of yourself, it's actually the best thing you can do for everyone else around you mm -hmm. because no one is happy when they see someone like driving themselves to the ground if mm -hmm. you really care for them. Mm -hmm. And this is what, and, and this is what surrounds us in activist circles. I think mm -hmm. is you see people and you, you see, you watch them and you think this person will have a burnout in about a year and it's tragic and it's, and it's people taking on so much responsibility and it's maybe even the nature of that struggle quote or, or the fight or whatever we, we make it to be is, is that it becomes another draining work. Definitely. I don't know if work is just draining energy sucking process Yeah. that at the end of the day just, you know, leaves you where the surrounding world is leaving you anyway, which is, you know, as an object you know, sucked out of its energy. Yeah, yeah. And used. Yeah, 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 totally. That I mean, that's why, that's that's exactly why I basically refused to do activism. I mean, it's, I, I think it's actually even worse in, in the sense, than you said, in the sense that it's not just that people are always kind of at risk of burning out. It's that, I would argue that activist culture basically is kind of voluntary, perpetual burnout. And, mm. that, and that, I mean, it's so, it's so predictable, like clockwork, that it, it's, it basically is the main uh, phenomenon that character that characterizes activism. It's basically just people um, who already have too much work to do and too much stress and and too much uh, in their life uh, to for them to be well, who basically sign up to do more forms of alienating labor uh, that make them even less well. Yeah. And that that is basically almost a, a that's a pretty uh, you know fair definition of most activism I think, and to me that's just quite literally kind of the opposite of my vision of what it means to do revolutionary politics and to overthrow uh, you know status quo institutions. I think there's also another side of this that's really important is that there is like what seems to be like a deep arrogant attitude in this stance mm. of. I'm going to be an activist and I'm going to get involved in all these projects so that I sort out shit for other people. Mm. If you know what I mean? I am going to be the person who will take on yeah. a bit more than just my work yeah, and a definitely. bit more than just my family and a bit more than just my friends because they don't care or yeah. they don't have enough time yeah. or energy mm -hmm. or you, they're ignorant. It's very so I'm going to do it for yeah. them. And I think that's such, such a problem. It's very problematic. And how would you want to do a revolution if all the people aren't going to be participating in who it's for, presumably, or mm. who it's meant to be made of. It's very Christian. Yeah. It's very it's much salvationist yeah. kind of. And it's moral. I, that's another thing that I'm just not, I'm just not into it. Like moralism. Like I don't want to do anything because I feel like there is some structure that says it is the good or appropriate thing to do. I mean that, yeah, I just, I'm, not, I'm just not interested in morality or moralism as a, as a principle. I'm, th this is why I talk about joy and sort of, um, energy and th these t different types of categories. Cause to me, it's all about, um, it's all about finding new weapons, finding new liberating possibilities. This is the liberation, right? Not liberation instead of sort of morality or justice. Um, I think it's more useful. Yeah. You know, what's interesting also on the point of like loving, like people not loving themselves enough. Something I was thinking about, I was actually kind of talking about this with Alessio last night was one thing I find very interesting is that people do not, I feel like pe most people, and this is tr true in activist cultures as much as others, um, people don't really deeply believe the truth of what they think and feel. Mm. 
I think, because I think most people, most people, you know, like radicals and activists or whatever, think that, you know, the status quo is unfair and unjust and should be changed and improved, right? Um, to some degree. But very few people, if you ever think about it, very few people will, outside of activist circles and in sort of, you know, at a dinner party or something like that, or at a work party or something, very few people will, will look someone in the eye who they disagree with, like a conservative person or like a police officer or something mm. like off out, outside of some sort of activist spectacle in their actual daily life. Very few activists or radicals will look someone will look a conservative person in the eye and say, I think you're wrong. And I think I'm right. I mm. believe that I am my perspective on the world is uh, more correct and, tr- and truer than yours. Very few people think like that or would dare to say that. Um, and that to me is really symptomatic of something. Why do you think that? Well, I don't, I, I think that's true because you don't, you don't hear that. You don't see that. So, so for most people, what, if, if, what it means to be an activist or a radical or whatever the fuck means doing stuff in radical or activist circles, um, that you believe is, you know, uh, contributing to the progress of social justice or whatever you want to call it or revolution or whatever. Um, but how do most people act when in their everyday life? Uh, at the job, at the, you know, at dinner parties, at family parties. Um, I'm not necessarily criticizing anyone. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of the same way. But, but, but my point is, why do we not embody a kind of militant belief in our perspectives in all sort of uh, venues and channels and uh, groupings outside of activist circles? Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um so, how do I put it? Um, you know, think about... So, you read biographies of someone like Emma Goldman or like Rosa Luxemburg. These mm-hmm. sort of, uh, from early, you know, early 20th century, late late 19th century type uh, personalities, radical personalities. A lot of these people, what I find really interesting is that they were, they were uh, very well known for uh, public speaking. Uh, powerful... Not just public speaking... But generally, their their sort of personality mm-hmm. uh, and sort of the the energy that they embodied everywhere. I mean, these people were like monsters. They were monsters, basically, <laughs> of, of monsters of sort of discontent and just completely batshit, unreasonable, uncontainable, uh, vociferous, protesting energy mm-hmm. everywhere they went in all of their conversations in everything they did, and that is very very different than the contemporary kind of activist mold. Which is, you know, we don't make too much of a fuss in all of the different pockets of our life, but then we go and do these things that we think will help revolution. So that that is like, I don't have anything too specific or, you know, profound, but just to point out that I think is really symptomatic of, of something that is really important for what it means to be a revolutionary that I'm interested in re, re, trying to return to. What I would like to do, I would like to focus less on what I do in meetings, like activist meetings. I want to think more about and focus more on how should I interact in the workplace meeting? Mm-hmm. How should I interact at the family party? What, what, what should I, should I be really sort of crazy and kind of batshit in my, in the language that I use and uh, the attitudes that I embody, or should I be really kind and loving? Uh, you know, these are tactics basically. This is sort of, I, I think that this should be, all of these sorts of questions should be seen uh, as, as strategies and tactics that deserve our full attention and our full sort of experimental practice as much as, you know, should we have a picket or should we have a mm-hmm. demonstration or whatever. Um, but those are precisely the tactics that are not really, people don't really acknowledge those as, 
as things that we should focus on as groups. Whereas um, that's that's something that I'm really interested in. Exactly. I, I, I'm completely convinced and that's the only thing I'm interested in as well is and that's, I think, where any kind of a change lies or potential for any kind of a true change lies is the daily, the daily details. Like, fuck big ideologies and fuck big, big overarching, you know, morality and ethics and these kind of frameworks. Because none of them have the potential to actually transcend the complexities of, like, everyday life and everyday interaction. And, and I think maybe a part of that is also letting go of your fucking agenda every once in a while. Like... We have a, a view of, you know, we want... I don't even know. I probably can't say what the whole view of the left is because it's probably... Everybody would disagree with everything I say. But we have a gen, general view of we want everyone to feel a bit better and to have a bit of a better life than what they are now because everything's so unequ unequal in this country. Um, so we have that, like, basic thing... But, like, also I think that you have to adjust your, like, just, to, and, and this is not to contradict what you're saying. This is not mm -hmm. me saying, like, you shouldn't be political or, or in any way approach a subject outside of activist circles. Exactly the opposite. But I do think that the only way to do that or to, in fact, even just get anyone to hear you out mm. in this way is is only through, like, empathy and through kind of genuine conversation. Right. Where you have to kind of put your agenda to the side a little bit. Yeah. So you will have it because it's your basic worldview. Yeah. So it's not going to go away. Yeah. But like also just take that step beyond just trying to preach to someone or tell them what to do. Yeah. To just understand what what they're saying or where they're coming from. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or how they would imagine that equality to operate or that revolution to operate. Definitely. Is this like I don't think any like this is one of the things when I was thinking what made me excited about Plan C. Like, why do I feel like... I still feel like that one group of people, and maybe I can't even speak for the whole thing because it's I'm only exposed to the people that I'm surrounded by that I've met in London, so I, don't, I wouldn't even dare to say, like, it's the whole thing. Sure. I don't know. Sure. But one of the things that genuinely made me feel different from everyone else or every other group or every other thing I've been part of was this not people telling me the answers and even admitting that they don't have all the answers. I think that's really, really important. It was mm. very important for me. This like openness about like, no, we might not have all the answers. This is a process we're trying to do. This is, this is an answering we're trying to do together. Mm -hmm. And you're invited to be a part of this and form it just as much as all of us are. And we're not giving you like the solution. We're like working on something and you're invited to contribute yeah. to that and change it. And participate in it to whatever extent you actually want. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that was, for me, that was something truly, truly different. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And yet, there's always this sort of, everyone always feels this pressure, like, we have to channel this, we have to channel that into doing something. You know, it's like there's this constant feeling like we have to be doing some other larger thing to sort of show that we're getting results or doing something practical. And I, I more and more think that that is, that is wrong. <laughs> that would, like, we actually... I actually more and more think there's nothing else to do other than kind of what you just described, basically creating a minimal structure for disalienated relationships and absolutely autonomous, creative becomings in whatever sort of uh, affinities emerge organically and over time and just solidifying that and growing that circle. 
not in the sense of recruiting, no. not like we don't like not in the sense of trying to maximize the numbers, like maximizing the numbers should never be a goal for something in some sense, maximizing should never be a goal in general for when it comes to revolutionary politics. I kind of think it's this sort of cultivating this culture of deep non exploitation <laughs> in some sense yeah. and, and develop it. I think what a lot of people don't quite get is that at least to me, revolutionary movements are mostly about revolutionary culture. It's about, it's not about like campaigns ever. I mean, a campaign has never like increased the probability of revolution. I don't think, you know, or even any kind of particular organizing drive, all of the campaigns, organizing drives, all of those types of, you know, quote unquote, doing things almost always ride the, the tail end or the coattails of what is actually a kind of eruption of culture, a kind of uh, flowering or blooming mm -hmm. of all different kinds of creative, uh, unexpected connections and energies and creative, uh, yeah, relationships basically that empower people to start thinking and speaking and behaving in new ways and doing new types of projects that break with what is valued in the status quo. Um, so that is really fucking cool because what it means is we actually can chill the fuck out and we don't need to fucking obsess about what like practical thing we're going to achieve together, what, you know, outcome we're going to maximize. And that in fact, as soon as our mind starts doing that, that's exactly where we have to say, stop, chill out. Let's just enjoy ourselves and protect what we have and bring more and more people into, or welcome more and more people, make this type of space more and more attractive to more and more people. Not because we want to increase our numbers, but precisely because we believe the relationships we're building are the real thing. It's true. It's deep. It's, it's, it's honest. And that's all there is to really true good life. And so let's just figure out the rules and the principles and the behaviors and, and, and ways of doing that. Right. And share that with everyone we come across and live in that way. Right. Um, it's not, that is not this kind of like woo woo spiritualistic mystical kind of hippie type thing. It's not at all, but people will sort of dismiss what I'm saying as this kind of, uh, just childish kind of lifestyle politics or something like that. And that is, I think, one of the worst assumptions that is very prevalent that in the conversation you and I are having has to kind of like go up against. Like that is the main thing that people will say we kind of sound stupid for, mm -hmm. um, that it just sounds like a woo woo kind of hippie type thing. Um, but I think it truly is not. And the only way to show that, I mean, it's not about, I'm not interested in arguing or debating with people. Like I said, I, I don't believe in like objecting or, you know, uh, it's just not worth it. It's not interesting or, or liberating. The only way to do, to, to show what we're talking about, I think is to do it. And that's exactly what we're doing right now. Yeah. I mean like right now, like I'm really enjoying this. Yeah. No, I, I mean, seriously, seriously. And it's not just because it's like, uh, it's not just because I like to hear myself speak. It's because I, but I do like to, uh, be a member of an honest, spontaneous, organic, liberated, honest and sincere connection. Right. So, and fuck yeah, that is hell yeah, I will say that, that I want that. Yeah. I want that. I want as much of that as fucking possible in my life. And if we just militantly as creatively and aggressively as possible, resist everything that's not that and try more and more to create precisely this kind of just pers interpersonal uh, reality more and more and militantly sort of spread that on top of the bullshit that we're supposed to be doing. To me, that might just be all there is to revolutionary politics. Yeah. And I think it has the potential to become a mode of being or a way of, you know, that this is what I'm really interested in is not the quantity or 
the result of what we do, but almost more interested in like the quality of how things happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I also think like one really powerful thing is just, and I think we're constantly and we're being taught and we are really, really detached from is how we feel because it's as good a compass in being a human as can be mm -hmm. things either make you feel good and better or they make you feel like shit. Yeah. That's a really good point. It's so clear and it's, you can't argue it away. And if you are a human, then these are the two things that happen. And I mean the sh the shades of good and bad in between, but you can't argue it away. It doesn't matter how much logical arguments you use. Either something is making you feel like joyful and free and nice, or it's making you feel like, like not yourself, like not a yeah. human, like a thing, uh, awful. No, and yeah. and that is like such a key element of, of that could guide you, you know, forget ethics and morality. Like what is it making you feel? That's a really good point that it's like a, it's like one of the most reliable kind of roadmaps for what to do next or, or how to sort of progress or develop a project in some sense. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what, what I'm hearing anyway. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, it's like in a lot of activist circles, it's like, okay, we have to like read Marx and shit. <laughs> we have to like read these like books we're supposed to read. And then we can have these like ideological debates. And in this debate and discussion, we can sort of figure out where to go, where to go next. And I, and I, I understand that, that logic and I, and I respect it. And it, certainly if people are into that. If they find joy in that, then totally people should do that. Um, but maybe that's actually not the most reliable uh, roadmap for getting a bunch of different diverse people onto the same kind of, uh, revolutionary page. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because of precisely what you're saying, like some people will find that alienating and maybe all there really is to do is to make sure that everything a group is doing, if you can, if you can find the thing that would literally make everyone feel joyous and energized and pumped and everyone would feel really creative and like they're really in their own and in, in their sort of prime state of, of human being almost by definition, if you could get everyone in a group on that feeling, that would probably be by definition, the only true path for that group to, to pursue revolution. Right. But you're not going to get that out of Marx, right? You're not going to get that out of any of these, uh, books or these, these typical traditional, uh, what, what, what are supposed to be the roadmaps for how to, how to think about radical politics. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. Um, and I actually, I haven't read a lot of Marx at all. I've read a little bit, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but, but actually to me, it even seems like he was kind of saying that because mm. I, I got the feeling from it that he was kind of saying, no, you don't need to be an intellectual to bring change. Mm. Like you don't, you don't need to read shit to bring change. Right. You sure. just need to like observe your immediate surroundings and what's fucked up in them. Hmm, okay. in a way mm -hmm. or that's at least that's the sense I got from it but it doesn't matter probably sure but I also think what's really interesting about this process or or getting people excited or, or feeling joyful is that it you lose fear I think I think when you're in that mindset or whatever you want to call it in that moment or in that experience of feeling you know very connected and kind of well and joyful you it you can't be scared and I think that's the dangerousness of that as well to get people excited enough and, you know, actually, you know, feeling accepted. Yeah. 
No, it's actually the opposite of fear. It's actually something that empowers you to take risks. I mean, I, 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 have, I, can, I can identify this very clearly, sort of in the ups and downs of my weeks and months, um, especially since I've moved to England, uh, that when I'm feeling sort of isolated and kind of just lonely and exhausted, I am generally kind of less radical in the things that I say and the, the ways that I behave in the workplace um, or, or just in general doing things in life. Um, whereas when my relationships are good and I'm feeling like disalienated and like, I'm like, I have sort of like, like I'm on some good vibes and dynamics with the people I'm talking with and, and I feel like I'm getting clarity and sort of, okay, things are brewing. Like when things are really good in plan C, for instance, if, or if, there, if we had like a really good meeting that felt energizing after that, I will just generally be way more of a badass <laughs> in all the <laughs> things that I do like the next week. Um, whereas when, when I'm just kind of isolated or feeling down, I actually become less dangerous. I become a lot more conservative in, in the ways that I actually act and behave and what I'm capable of doing. Um, and that's a really, that's a really important sort of correlation to, to identify. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's kind of just what you're saying, but, um, yeah, we don't have to talk about, uh, like activism and shit. We could talk about anything else too, if you want anything else on your mind. Um, how, how are you feeling more, in, ge more generally? In the vein of self-care, I need to go to Lou. <laughs> oh, yeah, cool. Oh, yeah, I can pause this. Um, but I'm, I definitely lean towards what you just said, which is, like, unless it's kind of, like, deep and focused, I kind of just, it doesn't... It's not bad. I'm not against it. Like, there's definitely a place for just chilling, right? Uh, right and, like, just kind of enjoying... Dancing. Just, like, sharing... Yeah, or just, like, sharing a space, like, at a pub or something and, and bantering a bit or whatever um, with people you like. There's de that's definitely good, healthy, sometimes a nice thing to have, but that's just not what I need out of, you know, social life, you know, um, I totally agree with you. It's like, unless I feel like I covered some amount of even just minimal, but, but serious and real focused attention with someone, um, it's like the, so like socializing didn't happen for me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, and that's really interesting to think about because it's like we were kind of saying before, you have to go really far out of your way to make that happen. You know, even with like good friends, like a lot of people who are good friends will go and do things together for fun to hang out where it's kind of just like perpetual distraction anyway. And it's like not that focused. And so it's like, we, you know, like I'm, I'm learning that to actually have the kinds of focused conversations I want to have with people I want to talk with. I had to buy this fucking nice microphone and like propose that we do something, uh, that is larger than it. Again, I feel like this goes back to people not loving themselves. Mm. You know, it's like, if I said to like, if I said two weeks ago to you or to anyone else, like, Hey, I, I'm, I'm trying to develop closer relationships with my friends and I would really like to, uh, make a time with you just to sit down and talk, uh, for two hours. Um, anytime you want, let me know. I want to just look you in the eye and talk for two hours. You'd be like, what? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and most people would be like, uh, what, what the fuck is he talking about? This is, sounds creepy even, you know, like that, <laughs> that sounds, that actually sounds creepy. Um, but if you're like, Hey, I got a nice microphone and I have this project that's like, you know, a uh, larger purpose mm -hmm. that I want to, uh, pursue and I want you to be a part of it. Then people are like, Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. <laughs> and then we can do it. And what is that? If not perfect evidence that, you know, people feel like doing something like this, like a focused conversation with just someone you're interested in. Uh, it's worth it if you're doing it for some larger kind of instrumental 
purpose or offering some sort of value to other people, but it's not worth it in its own right. Well, mm-hmm. fuck that. I actually do think it is worth it in its own right. And the, I'm just kind of using this podcast really as like a pretext uh, yeah. for, for having the sincerely, the, for just sincerely enjoying the uh, types of conversations that I want to have, but that our society doesn't let you have in general. Yeah. <laughs> or I think like people, like generally maybe we, we would really like the idea as well. But we're likely to just put it off indefinitely. Yes. Because yeah. it's not urgent or pressing enough. Right. And our time is always filled with something to, else. To delegate likely, two yeah. hours to it. But, but I also thought when you were talking about this, you know, larger project type thinking of, you know, there is a purpose to this kind of thing. I also think there's something valuable in that. Because mm. if it's, I feel like if it's coming to the place, uh, from a place of, um, of like creativity almost. Mm. So I've been having this because I have several friends and my boyfriend who are all artists. And so having these discussions is really interesting with them in terms of you make things, but then you want to get them out there. You want them to do something with people. You mm-hmm. want, pe- if not do something to people, you you just want them to be interacting with yeah, people. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's, that's a really valuable point as well. If it's coming from that, from that place, yeah, you know, this yeah. like, oh yeah, let's do something bigger or let's do something that we want to kind of express almost and can, and communicate, I think, is the basis of that to, to more people or to... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I yeah. think that, that could also be a good thing. I mean, not necessarily like uh, in a productive way, like, oh, we have to be productive because that's such a dangerous way of thinking and we all think that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I think there's also value in this, um, this like instinct or this urge to express and so that means communicate as well. You yeah. Know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's like you want, we want to participate in the world. Yeah. Um, but there's a very significant difference between a sincere desire to participate in the co-construction of the world and wanting to sort of uh, achieve some ulterior motive mm-hmm. or kind of instrumental uh, gain. Yeah. And in fact, and this sort of, we were talking about this in, in the break we took, there's this actual sort of ironic kind of law of the universe I think actually in some in some sense that if your goal is to achieve some sort of instrumental gain uh you're actually unlikely to do it because the attitude where you're just kind of instrumentally trying to maximize something is an ugly stupid attitude and no one wants to do that and ever in our society especially sort of capitalist society everything is just like exploitation and instrumental calculation that our radars for it are so strong. Like, you know, we can, we can smell from a mile away if someone is just trying to, you know, like promote themselves or something like that. Right. Uh, and so whenever you hear or see that kind of thing, people run for the door, you know, people were allergic to it because our society is already fucking plagued with precisely that attitude and that way of relating to each other. Um, but if you sincerely don't want the instrumental gain or the, you know, the, the, the value or whatever, um, and you sincerely just want the the enjoyment or the the honest kind of pleasure or value that is inherently gained in doing something. The irony is that that actually is what brings about the instrumental gain. Mm. Uh, so, like the, the a really good example here is what we were talking about with sort of uh, membership and re- recruiting in, in activist yeah. circles. So, like groups that want to groups that really care about recruiting and building membership and shit like this. Uh, that shit's not going anywhere, and though, like that's not that's not hot. That's not, that's not exactly the, uh, no, I don't think anyone thinks any such group is sort of, uh, 
onto any particularly interesting novel kind of revolutionary uh, project or advancement, right? Um, personally, you know, when I hear someone like trying to get, convince me to like join their group or something like that, uh, almost at the starting gates, I'm like, fuck this. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't want, you know, totally. you know what I mean? I think most people feel that. Um, whereas like plan C is weird because we don't actually give a shit about recruiting. Like we're, it's not There's like, no a, it's not, yeah, like we don't, none of us are trying to increase membership. Like that's just not a priority. Um, and in that kind of just sincere, uh, lack of interest in maximizing some larger goal, you know, in actually treating other people as human beings, not as objects to be, uh, accumulated in our, in our circle. The irony is that, uh, we're actually getting a lot of pe new people joining and people are interested in us and people like want to know what the fuck we're, what, do, we're, what we're doing, what we're talking about. Um, so that's, I think a really good piece of evidence for exactly what I'm saying. Um, and this is also, I think really important because when I, when I, when we talk about the, when we talk like the way we're talking in this podcast so far, and this is kind of like an a set of attitudes that you and I kind of have in common, um, where we talk about not wanting to exploit, not wanting to have an exploitative relationship or to other people or, or having instrumental kind of attitudes towards the world or other people. A lot of, I think that the typical activist mindset will hear that as saying, well, then how are you ever going to change anything, right? Like, how are you ever going to actually have an effect and, and, and deliver to people and to ourselves, you know, like a better world and gains and things like this. Um, but, th but that's a really mistaken, uh, position and, and that's, that's a bad mistake, uh, to, to make in response to, to the attitudes that we're kind of talking about, because the reality is what, what I'm really saying is that it's precisely this kind of anti-instrumental attitude that has the real effects of getting people involved, of empowering people, of actually building the dynamics that we want to build. Um, but that's, so that, unfortunately that's a kind of like complicated argument to make. And I guess I'll have to, you know, we'll have to like figure out a way to say that in a little bit more of a pithy way. But I do think that that is a real kind of empirical law, if you will. I mean, that, that is just how people, uh, function. And I think yeah. that, so I think that, um, I just think that's really interesting. I, I think it's like one of the most powerful, like motivating forces. Uh, what, for some reason it reminds me of like product placement. Hmm. Like this, we crave authenticity. I think what I, that and that also is such a laden word and such as like I in I, I kind of don't like that word at all. Like this whole authenticity and pretentiousness bullshit because it's like so laden with like class uh, okay. politics and mm -hmm. all this stuff. You know, you're sure. pretentious because you don't belong to the class that you're pretending to belong. Yeah, all this yeah, stuff. Yeah. Like I'm I'm not kind of arguing about that, but we really crave this like genuine expression from people like to me i was thinking about it in terms of product placement recently in terms of like musicians let's say or, or i don't know i was following a, a yoga instructor on youtube that i really liked mm -hmm. and it was because there was it was free and and it was like mm -hmm. you know just free yoga classes on youtube and there was no and no one was like sponsoring it and yeah. i really liked that yeah, yeah so it seemed quite like just and it was really chill and it just seems like shit seemed really like genuine hmm. and then suddenly you know two years on or something like slowly mm -hmm. little and now i'm gonna product place no a slowly little yeah, like yeah. like items start appearing like mm. oh they're wearing this t-shirt with this logo on it and i'm not gonna say it because then that would be product placement again right. but like it made me it just put me off and did you quit did you quit that yeah, yeah. no i'm not really following it anymore yeah, yeah. and and it happens with like it happened recently with one like just a, whatever a musician i like that suddenly it's like oh there is this new project i'm doing it on this particular device 
come and join. It's going to be all creative, but also you can buy this thing that yeah, I'm yeah. making it on. And, and this kind of thing is like offensive. Yeah. And I think it's similar to recruitment. It's like totally your agenda and your, and especially like product placement in itself. I think it's even worse than outright advertising because it's kind of, almost operating on the assumption or it gives you the impression that they're assuming that you're stupid enough not to even notice <laughs> yeah, yeah. that it's an actual yeah. advertisement for yeah. something like oh we're gonna embed it in this like cool thing that's happening and then just subtly like throw in things in which we are trying to extract money from you mm. it's like go fuck yourself <laughs> it's like the worst you know it's the most and i think that's like the se- second we sense that we humans like everyone it's such a like it's just it's just offensive i think yeah, yeah, yeah. um to us yeah um so what do you, you feel used you know y- yeah ultimately yeah. you feel like you're being used like someone's trying to use you to achieve a certain goal yeah yeah and as long as anything is in that vein of thinking it will fail yeah i totally especially uh, like if the goal is revolutionary yeah. social change right yeah yeah definitely i totally agree yeah so what do you think uh no this i think this has been a really interesting useful kind of discussion about lots of the things that I think we both tend to agree are kind of not the most interesting kind of paths for us, um, that, that we're interested in. But so for you then what, when you think of what is, what are the next sort of things that you want to do or the next sort of things that you want to think about or figure out, um, to pursue this sort of alternative line of thought and practice, like what, what do you think? What do you think about for sort of the next the next set of things that you want to do this in is, this in this direction? Yeah, well, this is what I'm like. I'm thinking about it so much, hmm. and um, I think it's really valuable and good to say that I have more questions than answers, and I think sure. a lot of us do. And I think uh, this had been a discussion, especially like recently. There's been a demonstration, and you know, certain um, kind of requests from the left were mentioned within the demonstration. It was like a generally, I think it was an anti-austerity one, but you know, the kind of like universal basic income or or like fully automated luxury communism. I still don't even <laughs> understand what that means. But you know, the, the demands were mentioned basically. And like it opened a discussion about how we don't really demand anything. We're just reacting, right? Mm. Like on the left, like it's antiquated because we're not actually proposing alternative or demanding things. We're just reacting to what's happening. Yeah. And uh, and it's so true that, yes, like, we should be thinking creatively about alternatives rather than just reacting. But I also think that um, I've been trying to reflect on what uh, felt, like, really different for me. And I was thinking about Plan C again, but what felt very different for me is that no one was actually giving me those answers. Mm-hmm. Like, no one was telling me, like, this is the world that we are trying to create and you have to subscribe to this or don't. So I agree that that is probably the ideal for like an organization, but, but you as a person, you know, like sitting in the cockpit of your mind that you are stuck in, what do you, what are your sort of wagers as to like what the answers are, at least just for you in the short term for like, for like how, yeah, for, for what you think sort of revolutionary politics entails. So how I would conduct, like, how... Well, I I guess all I'm really saying is that you and I are kind of, this has been an interesting discussion because we've pretty quickly kind of, we've sort of realized how much we actually kind of agree on certain things. And we're we're kind of, I think you and I are kind of on similar vibes in some sense. Um, So I'm just kind of curious from your perspective, obviously you don't have answers or like, you're not like that. You're not going to like, give me some sort of 
program yeah. uh, and ask me if uh, I want to join your uh, you know program. <laughs> but I just mean, what are your wagers? What are your instincts about like what you want to do next or, or what in your view uh, does the stuff that we're talking about, like what does that imply for to do, to do, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of. I was, I was, uh, but this maybe again comes down to like a more broader like perspective. But what I was thinking about is that if the process of revolution were to happen in some way, the, the most useful thing would be developing like tools. Ah, okay. Right. So go on. So not, not, uh, not, an, not an answer for, for people as to what the world will look like after right, this happens right. or what, what even revolution would look like. Uh-huh. Because I don't believe that a revolution would be something like a f- violent, armed, you know, overthrowing of the system in one day <laughs> at all. Yeah. Um, but rather than giving the answers and the structures thought out for people, again, from this arrogant kind of mm-hmm. uh, top-down way, almost, it would be developing tools that would allow people to f- to carve out that piece of, like liberation or different way of thinking for themselves right excellent autonomous so, so what are what are what are what are some sort of hypotheses you have like what are your <laughs> what are your tools I, what, this what, is could what, be the, what could be the tools that you want to are interested in creating with other people this is what i'm constantly thinking about i am so bad with computers even the mm. fact that i say it in this way <laughs> just <laughs> indicates how fucking bad i am okay who says with computers anymore um, but anyhow, um, so I, I, I'm not really good at that, but I, I definitely think that like using the tools we have, like the internet or mm. WhatsApp or Telegram or yeah. fucking Twitter, even though I heard recently that Twitter isn't cool anymore. I don't know, <laughs> but like, you know, using all these tools, which are, which have a potential to reach, okay. uh, reach huge amounts of people without necessarily you know, the collecting them in one space or, or could be quite like, I remember you mentioning like I've, and it's, it's so, it's incredibly hard to think of alternatives actually. Mm. I think it's so hard. But I remember you mentioning the tumblers of like, uh, young people who were like the shoplifting ones. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's like such an interesting example of like someone actually taking something into their own hands uh-huh. in a way. yeah. yeah. And then sharing those tools that they're, you know, the, the tips and tricks of, in which they're, they're actually, uh, but I was kind of interested in developing something like, um, um, fucking hashtag or something like <laughs> this, you know, <laughs> hate hashtags, but so I was, I was, I, I call, I'm, I'm calling it in my head, the acts of the human revolution okay. and, um, under which like I'd try to get, so I try to like, I'm trying to kind of devise capture in some way or like explain or show the moments where I feel really um what we were talking about really kind of joyful or free or uh, really different from how one should feel in capitalism Mm -hmm. let's say um and then just kind of like maybe show those and just like like encourage people to just like what is your version of this Hmm. and how and then so even just to start the discussion in terms of like i think that's what we're doing anyway now is is what is your version of that what is your version of like revolution like Mm -hmm. tiny things details Mm -hmm. like the idea came to me when i was once like um i was just like i had some time and i was which is wow great (laughs) i had some time uh and i was just like um waiting for like a planting meeting and i was just like in london fields after swimming and i didn't have anything to do so i was just like 
okay. So I just lay on the grass and I was watching the clouds and I was like, and I took a video of it, sent it to my friend Jane. And I was like, see, this is revolutionary for me because I'm not doing anything productive. I'm not getting paid for this. I'm not going to get anything out of it at the end of it. I'm just like, just existing uh-huh. in this moment and screw everyone else. And also like I communicated with her, but, um, so it's really unclear for me what these things will actually become, but I would be really interested to see what other people consider these like daily minor details of where they act right as they shouldn't. Okay. Right. Yeah. So you mean like, yeah, kind of like creating, make, making it easier for people, for other people, for yourself and for others to sort of like radicalize everyday life in some sense and to, and to kind of like, uh, make that political in yeah. a way that it's not for most people. Um, but to allow them or to support people or yourself or others in making those things political and then making, taking sort of micro political actions that then, but then not, not so that it sort of stays within itself and it's just sort of like someone enjoying like their own time by themselves, but doing that as like a public act of resistance kind of. Absolutely. Is that kind of what yeah. you're getting at? Yeah. And I think like I've been talking and, and I think just talking about, I've been talking about this with the people that are close to me, I think quite a bit yeah. recently. And, and it, and, um, just because it was on my mind yeah. and they seem to be interested in it as well. And I think people seem to kind of, everyone has something to say about this because mm-hmm. we all want to feel nice. We all want to feel free. You know, you all want to have a lot of those experiences like you would have in like, I don't know, a festival or some moment when you just felt really like right. connected to others and like really, you know, not anxious and, mm-hmm. That's interesting. I mean, what you're making me think of right now is I feel like, I feel like there could be a sort of project where people like with the perspective that you have and, and people who have, who share your perspective. I mean, I, cause I kind of, I kind of agree. I kind of, I kind of, I'm kind of picking up what you're putting down. Um, maybe the idea would be to try in our own lives to, to actually, to actually kind of take our own everyday lives as, um, as like terrain and actually try to experiment in a more, in a more kind of proper, almost social science way, like actually go and test out different ways of fucking with shit. Um, mm. and kind of recording it or, or seeing what happens and taking those effects seriously. And, and by talking about it, right on things, you know, everyone should like make a podcast, do shit like this, right. Where you actually share, you kind of inventory, like what are the things I can do in my day that increase my energy and increase my free time and fuck up like the value production that I'm a part of and fuck up the workplace that I'm expected to do things for, uh, and fuck up the, the sort of symbolic expectations that people around me, uh, are used to sort of, uh, uh, expropriating from me, all this kind of shit, right? Like we can actually, maybe, maybe one path would be to, to actually figure out what works and what doesn't work. And then to kind of, uh, lay that out in a way that's not like, here's what you have to do if you want to be a revolutionary, mm. but more like if, you're like us and you just want to fuck with like the pressures you're under and resist that shit and minimize all that shit and make your life as fucking good and true and liberated and free and relaxed and, and, uh, good as possible. Well then we've been trying all this different shit and here's what we have found works. Um, I, I think about this a lot in terms of academia because I mean, academia is so interesting and weird because you actually have, we actually, as academics, we actually have a fair amount of autonomy and, flexibility. Um, and there's actually relatively little supervision, um, in the sense that, I mean, there, we have a lot of expectations and like performance markers and this sort of stuff, like stuff we have to meet. Um, and obviously we're under a lot of pressures to, to fulfill lots of obligations and tasks. 
from all different directions. But what we actually do to meet those when no one's looking mm-hmm. is, is a pretty wide margin of, of flexibility. And there's, I, there's a lot of room for a subversion. Um, but the thing with academics is that they're so, you know, we're like good workers. You know, we're, we're, we're very kind of uh, conscientious professional types. Um, and yet, I don't know. Like, I have learned since I, took, since I started this job that in fact there are lots there are lots of ways to basically uh, not do stupid shit and not waste your time being anxious and, and feeling pressure, and there are ways to actually feel more relaxed and to, and to carve out more free time, uh, and then and there are ways of failing at that, right? So I mean, it is like it is like actually like a practical political question about how you do that, um, and most people I think struggle with it because I mean most I think it's probably fair to say that most people. Um, don't know how to do it because most people are just live on a kind of constant work clock Mm -hmm. where they're kind of like, even when they're in their free time, they're thinking about work. They're thinking about what they need to do next. Um, they're thinking about, you know, having to wake up early the next day, even when they're home relaxing at night, you know, so many people are basically on this kind of like constant never ending work mentality. And and it's not, but it's not just a mentality. It's like the actual, that's the content of your life, you know, and you actually do need to fit. There are real ways, I think like actionable specific techniques and, and, ways of changing things to actually change your, to change reality, to, to give yourself more actual liberated free time. Um, but you have to learn how to do it. And you know, do you know what I mean? And so like maybe Did you figure out any of those ways, like, I mean, I'm only, yeah, only a little bit. I'm not like, uh, no, I mean, I'm still definitely like struggling with stress and, and, uh, all that kind of stuff, but I'm, I'm definitely, I've definitely worked things out a bit better now. And I'm kind of, getting onto it. But, but actually, I mean, I feel like I have actually, I already said one of the key things, which is like radical relationships outside of work. Mm. To me, that's been like the big thing. Um, so like when plan C shit is going really interestingly and a, a very kind of, I feels very promising and, and dynamic and interesting and provocative. And I feel kind of disalienated by it. And I feel connected to like you and, and, and especially the London plan C people, just cause that's where I'm closest to. Um, when that shit is, is going well, it literally changes the reality of how I experience my work life and my everyday life. Um, so in that sense, the revolutionary organization, if done correctly, is an actual uh, technique for uh, carving out free time and making oneself uh, for, for changing the reality outside of the organization. You know what I mean? So uh, in some sense, like a rad- like a radical relationship, like basically just you and I right now, it's nothing too deep or sophisticated. It's just disalienated talking based on nothing other than connection seeking and truth seeking and enjoyment, right? Like, uh, there's nothing too profound about like what I'm calling a radical relationship. Um, but this that we have, and this that I have with other kind of radicals and stuff like that, it's actually a technology. It's a social technology. Um, and I think that is one way to think about like what revolutionaries have to offer in some sense, you know, because if we're not going to, uh, if we're not, if we're not selling people like this project where, yeah, we'll get you higher wages if you join mm-hmm. our group, you know, like we, uh, we're past that. Uh, obviously, I mean, there's some, there are obviously lots of people who still try to do that. Like unions, it's not working out so well, is it? Um, but since we're not doing that in any, in any event, it's like, maybe what we are offering is just like a, it's like the direct action of everyday life. Like we're offering an actual vehicle that you can join immediately if you want to, like I said, we're not, we don't, we're not recruiting, but like the revolutionary organization is something that can make your life qualitatively different and 
open up spaces for you to become something different and better that you like better that you on your own can't access in the current like treadmill that you're stuck in. Um, and maybe that's all, that's all a revolutionary organization has to offer, but maybe that's all it has to offer. Um, anyway, that was a really long winded kind of, and also, uh, like, but. I think it's really, the really cool thing about this or the really cool way of thinking about it is that you will not be able to, and you'll recognize that you're not able to predict where that will take us. And you don't have to. And you don't matter. have to. <laughs> yeah. 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 This is the yeah. thing. So, you know, and I even think like, as I said before, like for me personally, if I'm completely honest, I would love to say that, you know, at one point I reached the conclusion that I should take care of myself and I should be kind to myself. It didn't happen like that. It didn't happen like suddenly an intellectual understanding dawned on me that I should, you know, do this self-care or uh -huh. whatever. It was actually, uh, if I'm completely honest, it was only when I got a job in which I... You know, my job is to try to help other people to be, uh -huh. to feel better, essentially. Um, it was only when I had this justification of work, essentially, my work had justified me to f come to the conclusion that I have to be in a really good or as good as possible emotional and mental state mm -hmm. so that I can then perform my work well. So the mm -hmm. motivation was coming completely out of work, as you say, like this mm -hmm. work mentality. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is one thing, but I also, you know, through that, then I actually started to focus on this. Let's try to take good care of mm. yourself, Adriana, because you have to do that. Mm -hmm. And then the motivation falls away and it doesn't matter anymore because you're transformed through that process. Mm. You do become, you know, you feel better or you become a bit more kinder to yourself and to others. And, and then mm -hmm. it kind of becomes a snowball effect. So I think like even we wouldn't maybe necessarily even have to work against this work mentality thing. Because mm. I don't even think it matters where your motivation is coming from. But like to reach, just to reach an understanding that actually to do anything better in your life, you have to be as good as you can, mm. like to yourself and in yourself. Right. Because otherwise it, it has a knock on effect on everything else. Again, like your relationships, your work and all of the rest of the things. Right, right. Yeah, huh. But there's always this like allergy in, and it's good. It's good to recognize how many things in the in life are work and how many things aren't work. But I also think I think maybe you mentioned this before as well that it's almost pointless anymore to try to do this distinction. Right. Yeah. Like our lives anymore are not. I'm not saying for work to bleed into life. No, I'm not proposing that. But our lives are. That's our reality now. No, you're right. But what we can there's no yeah, separation. No, I think you're totally right. So make everything radical then. Make your fucking work radical because otherwise you'll make nothing radical. Or it's like, or it's like, because you have no free time. Or it's just it's... like evacuate work from work. Yeah. Like that is kind of. I know. Actually, I, I really like what you're saying. I, I think that is the better way to see it. Is like the fact is that work has colonized our lives, and we should maybe just accept that, but then figure out how do we liberate life from within this like colonized uh, life that we have, right? So what I mean by that is like, so when I go to work, you know, whatever, when I wake up in the morning and go to work, um, you could think of that, 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 that day of work as uh, there's like some percentage of that day is like work mentality where I'm like, I'm like a subjugated person, uh, totally disalienated, totally alienated, I should say, um, exploited, completely outside of myself, doing things I don't want to do. Uh, you know, yeah, the, the, all the bad things we associate with exploitative work or whatever. Uh, but then there's also like a percentage of that day that is me 
fucking off and being what you know being myself or whatever uh, just carving that out of the work expectation right and so like the status quo like you know liberation in some sense like on an everyday level uh, or disalienation whatever you want to call it so it's like maybe it's this game of how do you decrease the first percentage and increase the second percentage and you can come up with a million different tips and tricks and tactics that work better or less in different certain in different types of jobs in different situations right um like what I ha- like the knowledge I've gained about how to carve out liberation within my job is going to be totally irrelevant to people who have a different job or, or especially people that are unemployed or whatever. Um, that doesn't mean that my project and trying to find out the liberate, the liberatory uh, tactics for my life position is bad or in, or in any way, you know, um, problematic. It just means unemployed folks have to do their own experimentation uh, to figure out what works there and, or, or we can figure out like, uh, just by comparing all the different types of situations one can find oneself in, in our society, uh, we can, we can start to make generalizations about what types of things might work in different types of situations or might not. Right. Um, like you asked me before, what, like if there, if there were specific things that, that I do or that I can think of, um, and I said that one thing is the biggest thing I can think of in my life right now is kind of like the red, the, the revolutionary organization. When that's going good, that's actually a technology for making mo- for increasing my own feeling of free time and disalienation off the clock of the, of the radical politics. Another obvious one is like romantic relationships when they're good. Like when Ari and I are good, I feel so powerful and I feel untouchable. And mm-hmm. I feel like when I go to like when Ari and I are really good, I go to work and I like don't give a fuck about any of it. Because I'm like, you can fire me if you want. Mm-hmm. And I have a partner who loves me and we're the shit. And so, fuck you. And I'm, I'm, I, I, I will, like, you know, I'll do all my exploitative labor, like, really quickly without caring and it won't bother me. And then I'll, like, you know, read whatever I want or write whatever I want more than I would. Do you know what I mean? Just, like, these little, um, in, you know, decreases in the, the exploitative percentage of the day and increases in the liberating percentage of the day. And I, that is, I get that directly from like Aria, Aria is giving that to me mm-hmm. in some sense. That is like something she is doing for me. Um, and then, so I think for most people, like a romantic relationship is, is also like a key technology when it's going well, of course, you know, it's hard to do. And so when, mm-hmm. when it's going badly, which is inevitable at sometimes, you know, cause just cause it's such a, you know, having a good relationship, especially in our society is a real fucking struggle, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but when it's going bad, it, that has the negative, that has the opposite effect sometimes and actually pushes me further into submitting to my own like exploitation. Um, so, but that's, that's the, that's the challenge. But anyway, the point probably being that I think we could do way more to make friendships, that kind of technology in a way that we don't currently do. Um, I think French, like a, like a radical friendships can, could become, um, like, like an absolutely kind of radicalizing, liberating, uh, social technology that we just don't, but we have to learn how to do that. Mm-hmm. And so you, I can't say that I know that, how to do that because I don't really have that in Southampton. I mean, I have good friends in Southampton who I adore and who mean the world to me. Um, the issue is that a lot of people are either the people that are relatively healthy are really busy with work mm-hmm. and the, and the people that are not so busy with work are, uh, not well for the most part. And, um, I'm okay with that. Of course I support them and love them. But if, but when people aren't well, they, they, it's hard for them to give much to other people's wellness in some sense. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So, um, so for instance, like 
the question of how do you take a group of kind of, uh, you know, very kind of dissatisfied, um, kind of depressed, kind of anxious people who are friends, but don't have really energy or uh, the, 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 cap the, the ability at, the at this point in their life to have kind of really deep, connected, joyous, interesting, edifying types of uh, time spent with each other. Um, how can you create that from a state of uh, depression and anxiety? That would be like, if we could answer that, that would be like the million dollar fucking question, I think. But maybe thinking that way is exactly the problem. Because mm. I think there's a big danger here of yeah, thinking of joyous and happy times yeah, that's true. as I the see. ultimate goal. Because they're not yeah, sustainable, yeah. nor should they be. That's you will, true. life knocks, you know, Shit. you get knocks, yeah. you get damaged. Yeah, yeah. That's what fucking life is. That's a good point. Um, so it made me think of like the little experiment we did in, um, and I know they've done in the second wave feminist movement or whatever, the consciousness raising kind of mm. groups. And the one that we did in Plan C, a few people getting together. And essentially, there were some questions posed that we kind of discussed. But it was more or less kind of quite a loose um, space to just say mm. honestly what you want to say mm. with other people. And have a space to say stuff. And it wasn't coming out of a place of everyone being happy. It was exactly the opposite. Mm. And I think... I think... Mm. And also I work with a lot of people who are not well, like, at all. But I still prefer an actual, like, open, honest connection and discussion with someone to fucking superficial chit-chat any time of the day. Even if it's the most depressing chat we will have. Yeah. But that I think there is a, an inherent value or energy in just connecting with another person, like, in a genuine way. Even if it is about the fact that we're both fucking anxious or we're both fucking depressed. I don't think we necessarily have to give ourselves the goal to make everyone happy and kind and joy joyful and constantly like think about that. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, obviously I that point, would yeah. be the goal, but... No, you're right. I, I totally see your point. Um, I, I think the only thing I would say, though, is that... I mean, there is, there is a real issue here, though, that like people, social groups, or just people and, and sort of their, their, their particular kind of social yeah, group, whatever, um, the people that surround them in their, in their life, can get stuck into, like, bad equilibria. Mm -hmm. You know? Like, people who are unwell, like, people who are mentally unwell, uh, to various degrees, um, who only associate with each other, can kind of uh, perpetuate that mental unwellness in some sense. I would never blame them for it, and I'm not judging at all. I'm just... I think it's a pretty uncontroversial, empirical kind of fact I'm, I'm referring to. And I think a lot of people, a lot of... You know, even just, you know, just like typical friend groups, like not political people necessarily. Although this is, you know, this actually, I think there's a fair bit of this even in activist circles in some. Um, but like people just get into little ruts of kind of shitty feelings and and low levels of energy. And and there is an issue that people, um, all, yeah, all I'm saying, I'm not, it's not like I'm not judging it. It's just, a, it, it's a it's a challenge, right? I mean, so all I'm really getting at is I do think there are, there could be, there should in principle be ways that we can learn how those things work. Not to try to fix people. I'm not like, there's nothing wrong with being depressed. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm, I, and I don't only care about joy and excitement, which I, I, I sometimes do fall into that trap. So yeah, I think you're fair to say that. Um, but that's honestly not really what I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is, um, 
I think there are ways of mixing health and poor health in ways that can uh, uh, kickstart or charge up people. Um, and I don't think that we should be afraid of that. Mm-hmm. I think that we are afraid to stigmatize um, for certain forms of unwellness. And I totally respect that. Like, yeah, we shouldn't make people feel shitty for feeling already shitty. Um, but we should also be, we should also be comfortable saying that like, um, that in in principle, we believe in the possibility that people who are unwell can become well. And that if there's a way to do that, let's try to figure it out. Mm -hmm. But even that starts, some people would take issue with that. Some people would be kind of offended by that. I think because it kind of sounds like, you know, I'm saying people don't have a right to be unwell or, you know, I'm making people feel bad for not being well. I mean, I, I I don't know. I mean, I, I really don't see it that way at all. I just think it's like, we sometimes have a bad habit of like flattering each other's unwellness, you know, like, does this make any sense? Like, um, in a way, I think it's like, we believe the the nice thing to do is to let people be depressed. And in some sense, I get that. Um, but in another sense, it's easy to see how that could be fucked up, right? Like we should, on some level, we should care about people enough that if there's anything that could be done to make people more well, then we would want to share that and we would want to figure out ways to encourage that and make that possible for people if they want it without stigmatizing them. Um, I'm into that. That I think is something that I'm interested in because I have friends that are not well and I'm, I'm perhaps, I'm not always well, but I'm, I'm in a relatively good place. Like I, I'm, I'm relatively okay. Like I have all my shit under control and I'm functioning and I'm not like suicidal or anything, you know, you know, you know what I mean? Whereas perhaps people have, you know, I, perhaps I have people in my life who are. And, and so yeah. it's like, um, I do believe in principle that there, like communities should be able to distribute health and, and lack of health in a way that like, uh, does this make any sense? I, Absolutely. I, I really don't have very sophisticated thoughts on what I'm saying. I'm only just kind of dancing around something I've been thinking about. So yeah. what do you think? I don't know. I, I think the only, like the only, um, c- kind of helpful way of, of, or not the only, is it, I just think a, a really helpful way of thinking of that, about that would be a, to lose the assumption that. again this separation comes up of like us and them and who's healthy and who's not healthy and uh, and kind of adopt a much more flexible view of human experience which is that you change all the fucking time and sometimes you're well and sometimes you're unwell and Mm. sometimes you're healthy and sometimes you're not healthy and and or you're constantly unhealthy or Mm. you're you know whatever but also as you said like distributing and i think the only way to actually like address any of this is is actually the more diverse connections that we can create amongst Mm. each other as you said so that there isn't circles or groups of people who just perpetuate the same thing because there's no other input right almost right right so the more you mix people who are healthy unhealthy and or whatever the the better the the possible outcome can be i think yeah i agree i agree with that but i wonder if there's even if there's even like a a more refined kind of almost like a social science of, of what exactly are the inputs and what exactly are the outputs that, that, that a group can, can create. Does that make sense? Like, Mm -hmm. um, because it's not, it's not obvious how to do that. And I feel like that's where like mental health work and all, all sort of the, the research and all the experiences about how these things actually function could be way more valuable to radical groups than, 
like like personally, I would I would like I would much sooner join like a reading group on kind of like the the social science and the psychology of mental health rather than like read Marx. You know, to me that's like that that's a no brainer. Like I, I feel like I want to actually learn how these things function um, so that we can rewire ourselves. Not because I want to like engineer. I want to like fix people or fix. You know, it's not like I want to like engineer. Uh, people are like engaged in eugenics or some shit like that. You know, like that's not the, that's not the attitude of the spirit I'm talking about. Um, But I don't know. What comes to my mind is that um, like moments in which actually I felt really like nice in plan C was, I appreciate, I appreciate to a huge extent the fact that some people when they aren't doing very well, let other people know Mm within the group you know I'm having a tough time Mm. or uh, and that allows for the others to like offer any kind of support they can Mm. and I think I've done both like I have or actually what was really beautiful at one point was just like a little detail but it was really like significant for me was when I don't know I think I've just didn't come to a few meetings or I didn't kind of communicate anything because I, I, yeah, I wasn't feeling particularly well, let's say. Um, and, uh, you know, I got an email from the kind of London email list or whatever from, like, in the name of everyone, pretty much. Mm. It was like, oh, dude, like, we haven't seen you, we haven't heard from you for a while, like, hope everything is okay. You know, let us know if we can, if, if we can do something. Yeah. Just the thought of ha- being accounted for yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, and being it's accepted so and being, powerful. Yeah, and being accepted. It's like... Just like that, it's okay. That yeah. There's nothing wrong. Like There's nothing wrong with it. And we notice that, like, we are not here. And if anything, can we do something? Right. And then also having, you know, approach people like that. Myself being like, oh, if you need something. Like, I've heard you're not well. If you need something, if I can help in any way. Like, these are the things I can do for you. Let me know. Yeah. Um... I don't know how you can generalize this, but this right. kind of caring of and for each other is is like really key. Yeah, maybe that's all there anything. is to it. Maybe that's all there is to it. Maybe I'm, I was kind of guilty just now doing what I was kind of criticizing before, which is like feeling like we have to come up with like practical uh, goals or else it's not real. Whereas in fact, maybe what you're saying is all there is to it. It's like just accepting wherever someone is at and loving them anyway and just saying... That's cool. If there's anything I can do, this let me, is let me really know. key. This and is maybe really that's just all there is to it. Uh-huh. I think this is really key for me. And when I was comprising my little list of like what I feel is like profoundly different um, in this group, one of the things was the flexibility of I never feel pressured to do stuff, and it's like it's completely acceptable that you dip in and out. Mm. You do whatever you can. You come to a meeting. You don't. You say stuff on the forum. You don't. You engage or you don't engage and it's fine and you're not being in any way questioned or punished mm. or I don't know or mm. made feel bad about it yeah yeah maybe yeah yeah I agree I agree maybe what maybe actually what I was really where I was really coming from was just that like I've ne- so I had an interesting experience the past like two years because I've never really like struggled I've never had depression like I've never it's never really been a thing I've never known it I never really knew what that was. Uh, I never knew what it felt like. Obviously, I knew kind of what it was. But um, but I kind of had, like, a spell uh, about a year ago. It was mostly just, like, from work stress, I'm pretty sure. I was, like, just totally overworking. I didn't really know my limits. 
and I was really kind of like learning the hard way. So after just like a bad bout of like several months of just have not being in total not control of like my thought process and my work process and stuff like that, I just totally burned out, had like a stress breakdown, mm-hmm. crazy kind of like, yeah, I, I don't even know what you call it. Like I tried to talk to a doctor about it, but uh, he called it a panic attack, which maybe that's all it was. I think it was a little bit, it was something more than that. I think it was like mm-hmm. crazy. I mean, um, make a long story short, it was just like one day I was in Sheffield at a conference and I, uh, yeah, just started going crazy. Like my mind started like freaking out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got like really dizzy. I kind of thought like the building was going to collapse or something. Like, I don't even really remember, but I actually thought I was going to die. Yeah. Um, and for no reason, but it was like physical, like my neck and shoulders was like, uh, I could feel, it felt like there was like a slime, like climbing up my back into my head it was like very weird it was like almost psychedelic yeah yeah um very fucking weird maybe it was actually just an acid flashback no I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> anyway yeah totally totally like fucked me up total breakdown and then so that was just like a one day thing and then I kind of came down called Aria and like she helped me chill out a little bit and then I uh but then the, like two or three weeks after that I was like proper depressed and I like not that bad I don't think in the scheme of things but it was like proper spell of depression. And I never, I never knew that. It was the first time I ever knew that. Mm-hmm. So this is probably like a bit of, just a little bit of background information for what I'm actually talking about. Because what I was saying before about mental health and figuring out how it works and stuff like that, it kind of sounded like patronizing or condescending. Like I was talking about other people. I want to like fix them or something. It's not, it was, I was actually talking about myself because mm-hmm. it was like, once that happened, I was like, once I came out of that spell and was like, got back to normal, uh, I was like, Okay, my number one priority now is to figure out how that happened and how to make sure that never happens again. Yeah. Uh, and I took it very seriously as a kind of like intellectual challenge. And, so, and, and I started reading all the stuff and learning about all the stuff about how this stuff works. And, um, and I'm still kind of on this path. So I've, I've, I'm still like reading all the stuff about stress physiology. And it's super interesting and it's super useful. Mm-hmm. And I've learned. And so I actually, and, I, and it's actually helped me. And I've, so I've like gotten really into, not too into like health and exercise and shit like that, but. But I've gotten into it enough that it's made significant change in my life. And mm-hmm. I'm way better. I feel way better and more powerful on every front now. I'm just, like, eating well and, and sleeping well and basic exercise and shit like that. Um, and taking my own stress seriously and refusing to, like, allow it to get out of hand. Uh, so pretty basic shit. Nothing too fancy. But um, I'm in probably the best, like, state I've been in ever, maybe, in some sense. Um, and so my basic point is just that, like... I learned how things worked and I did change them. And I know like that's a very kind of like pick yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. And that's like, that can be a really ugly kind of ideology or, or rhetoric uh, when it's sort of used to just like tell poor people and oppressed people to like deal with it and fix it themselves. Like I'm not saying that at all. On the other hand, there is a grain of truth to the fact that we do have at least some control over certain choices that we make and we can learn how certain things function. Um, and I feel like on the one hand, it's kind of, for me to take this experience I had, like in, in kind of being able to change myself in a lot of ways for the better, it would be sort of like ridiculous for me to just like assume everyone should do that or to tell people they should do that or to try to start doing it for people. I'm not doing that. I'm aware that's insane. Uh, but on the other hand, there's something fucked up about me enjoying this and learning these things just to make myself more powerful yeah. and healthy while I have friends who are stuck in bad ruts. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's like, 
this is a difficult question, and I don't have like a fancy, sophisticated argument that here. Uh, yeah. But I'm kind of pointing out that this is a very difficult kind of uh, point. I think, especially in radical circles, because I personally think that the the conventional wisdom in radical circles and just sort of left wing kind of social justice culture more generally is to kind of. It, I actually think we have almost too much respect for other people's suffering, and we have so much respect that we're like. I actually think we err slightly on the side of allowing people to suffer. Um, or we fetishize it. I feel like. Or we fetishize that, Oh, that's definitely. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. Oh, well, what you had a, you know, you had a breakdown, or or someone had a breakdown because they worked so hard. Wow, that's that you really earned your stripes, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, almost yeah, as if yeah. you didn't have a burnout, you're not even working properly enough in any kind of a way. Definitely. So, uh, yeah. The, I feel like there. I feel like there could be significant advances on this front. Basically, I feel like there are ways we could figure out to basically cultivate knowledge of mental health yeah. maintenance and to share it and to, and to, and to make it contagious and, and, and empower people um, and support people in ways that are more active and a little bit more aggressive than we currently do because we're so afraid of stigmatizing people. Um, I feel like there are ways of doing that without being condescending or without being uh, patronizing. I think again, if you, like the point at which I could connect to what you were saying is when you actually said your own personal experience. Mm. And I think tying back to what we're talking about again, you know, you can suggest, you can make it visible. You can make visible ways in which some of us or yourself had done some things that helped Mm -hmm. not telling people to do those things, but giving people illustrations of possibilities. Yes. No, you're right. Maybe that's all encouraging them to share their own and welcoming they have and welcoming people into like alternative healthier like ways of thinking and being and like that's and that's not to say that like i'm healthy i'm superior and i'm other than people who are unhealthy like not at all yeah. just saying but i but i am saying that i think we should be honest about the fact that there are like patterns of behavior and patterns of thinking that are closely associated with health and and there are pat- different patterns of thinking and behavior that are associated with bad health and, and really destructive outcomes. Uh, and I think we should just be honest about that in a loving and caring way. Um, but not like negotiate. Uh, like I think people are really way too comfortable kind of like negotiating their own mental health. And I, I, I've realized that I've done this like over the past few years, like th- this played a role in, in, I think in the lead up to like my little crisis. Um, I felt like, I owed it to anyone around me, no matter how depressed they were or how sort of self-destructive their thinking or mm-hmm. ways of acting or being were that since I was okay, or I felt fine, uh, I felt well enough, you know, that I owed it to everyone to participate in the most depressing ways of thinking and being, because if I didn't do that, then I was like judging them or stigmatizing mm-hmm. them. Do you know what I mean? Whereas like now... I, in a, in a totally loving and, and, you know, this place of like absolute empathy and non-judgment, but nowadays I'm actually very guarded about how much time I spend with people who are really unwell. Mm-hmm. And that's not to judge them. It's just to say, it's just to say like, it's, it's actually out of love for, for them because it's like, I, I've just found, and I've learned this through like, a, it's a story for another podcast, but I, but I've learned that like you can basically like depression is contagious. I mean, it is, I, I really, I, I believe that anyway. I think 
every observation I've ever had around it is it suggests that that's the case. And so it's like, if you have, I, I feel like if you have friends that are really depressed, um, and you try to operate on this like assumption, like, oh yeah, we're all equal. It's all fine. Like, uh, you know, I, I love you anyway. Um, there's nothing wrong with you being depressed and we can still just hang out all the time and it, it'll be cool. It's fine. It's all good. You know, like that actually does not work. Um, because beyond a certain point, you will become depressed also, and then you lose yourself. And then you actually, yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, yeah, and it doesn't sound necessarily helpful either because it doesn't, it isn't necessarily helpful. Like specifically talking about depression, whatever we mean under that, because also it means different things for different people. Um, in my own experience, if I ever approached any kind of state that was, that could be called depression, it was one that came very, that was very insidious and came on very slowly and actually didn't feel like much. So what like got me thinking about the possibility that there's something that's not right was very specific things that I was not willing to do anymore. Or I mm. could, didn't feel like I had the energy to do anymore, mm-hmm. but there was no, it was such a, it, it can be so slow and so kind of hidden that mm-hmm. you don't really even realize what's the value of other people ignoring the fact that they can see that there's something wrong. Mm. Uh, it's if you, if you care about someone, I think it's your responsibility to say, correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm seeing is this, mm-hmm. this is happening to you or with you, or you're, you're doing and not doing these things. Like, do you want to tell me more about this? Right. Are you sure you're okay? Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's in no way patronizing and arrogant. If it's an opening of a discussion, it right. can never be patronizing or arrogant. It's literally just an interest. Right. Or, e- or even if there's nothing to talk about necessarily, like perhaps you just understand, like, um, like I have known people, uh, like groups of friends basically who I like and who I think are cool people who are good people who I, you know, support and, uh, and basically like them. Um, but there's like a lot of, there just happens to be a lot of like, m- uh, poor mental health in, in a particular circle. Uh, and, so and in I, the left, I think we have and to in, say, yeah, 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 sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and like, I, I'm not judging at all, but I will say not necessarily to anyone, but I will say to myself, like, um, if I spend too much time in these circles, in the ways that uh, certain types of people prefer to hang out for whatever reason that whether they choose to or whatever. Um, if I spend too much time doing that, I don't, I will not feel good. And so I'm not going to do that. Does that make sense? And it's like, yeah, yeah, no, I know it's, it almost sounds like obvious, right? But like, it's not obvious actually. And, and in fact, like the social justice kind of like, uh, instincts that we have actually says the opposite. It actually says you should be perfectly fine hanging out with people no matter how depressed they are. Um, you know, like we feel fucked up for saying I need to, I need to not go in these circles too much. Um, yeah. And yeah. so it's on one hand, I'm so what I'm saying is like kind of obvious, like, yeah, everyone should just do what they enjoy and hang out with who they want to hang out with on some level. Yeah, sure. That's obvious. Um, but we are kind of, we often kind of find ourselves swimming in a culture where, uh, one can, without even realizing it, be sort of, uh, out of like a misplaced love for someone 
actually be like uh, destroying one's own precisely what one has to offer yeah. other people. Do you know what I mean? So like I, I've now, um, I've learned of this like in the past few years actually with different types of situations. Um, I'm not like, I'm not thinking of anyone in particular for anyone who's listening to this, uh, but just in general, like I've had lots of observations about this sort of thing. Um, and so I'm now kind of like the way I, I sort of think about this now is I put my own well being like in front of everything. And this is new for me. I mean, I've never done like, it's very new for me. And it's weird because like in, in grad school, I lived in this like big warehouse with like 20 people. It was kind of like a big commune, crazy kind of like radical people thing. And, uh, so it was like a massive kind of radical social justice kind of mm-hmm. culture. Um, and so that's like some of the background. And then I kind of in Southampton, even I'm kind of like, uh, socially kind of, I socially mix with like, you know, radical kind of circles or whatever. Um, the small social radical circles there are in Southampton. Um, and, um, I've always just felt like the right way to live as a radical person is to roll with like other radical people, no matter how they are or how they act or how they treat themselves or whatever, um, out of love and solidarity, like those are my people and Mm -hmm. I'm going to be there with them and for them. Cause like we're we're, like, we have that in common. We, We, you know, do you know what I mean? Uh, and uh, more than ever now in my life, right now in my life, I've broken with that um, attitude. And I now basically put my own mental health and, and physical health before everything, even at the cost of like, there are lots of people I just don't spend time with anymore. Um, and I don't even talk like people from the States. I don't even talk to that much anymore because it's just not consistent with like my path to like clarity and well-being and and what I think is like my most revolutionary like way of, of living and being. Um, anyway, I, I'm being a bit long winded, but the, the reason I'm saying this, I think is because, um, Oh, and, and here's why, because it looks and feels and sounds and smells like bourgeois kind of like self contentment. Like, Oh, Justin just got like a, a, a professional job and now he makes money. And now he's just like, uh, he only cares about his health. And now he's like uh, high functioning, uh, you know, individual, uh, and doesn't like spend time like, uh, in like gritty, you know, radical circles as much anymore, but it's not that at all. It's like, I'm doing this precisely to be, to offer something so that like my friends who are like depressed, uh, can like have someone in their life who's like not depressed, you know, like not because I'm better or because I'm going to fix them or be their savior, but just because like, this this is exactly what you said before that like being healthy is the best thing you can do for other people um and yeah sorry this has been totally long-winded but it's only because i I, i'm only kind of saying this i'm probably saying this for the first time ever in some sense uh just thinking it through as as i'm talking about it now um on the one hand it sounds so obvious but actually in radical circles it's far from obvious and in some sense you actually have to do what i'm saying is actually the opposite of what you instinctively feel as like a radical person or, or someone who like believes fervent, yeah. fervently in empathy and significant social change. Um, it's just really interesting that I've learned that. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's interesting to actually say that. I think that, cause I've never, I don't think I've ever written that even like in my journal. So I, I mm. just kind of, uh, it's, I, I'm happy with how that came. I think that made sense. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Did that make sense? I, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I've been, I've been thinking very similar thoughts recently because I've, um, just recently went to Slovakia for a week. This is where I'm from, just for a holiday, mm. see friends and family. And 
Johnny. And uh, before that, I was just in a really, like, unhappy place, I think. And it would begin with, like, me coming to work, going on the news and reading all about everything that's fucked. And then thinking a lot about how everything is fucked and then feeling like anything I do is completely pointless. Because why? Because the whole world is fucked, isn't it? Because capitalism everywhere, it's all fucked. So we're all fucked. <laughs> so great. Um, and just spending a lot of time feeling awful and really angry and stuff like this. And I think this is where like we have to get off our high horse, like every single one of us, from this like, I need to constantly think about the big picture and it constantly try to save the whole world and everything else. Cause I think also it's good yeah. to think about the big picture, of course, but if we constantly just focus on that, everything else uh, disappears and you know, from sight. Uh, so I've been trying to change myself in this way as well of like, no, I will have to just do little things in the everyday immediately now in the life I have now, as I'm living it now, because I become useless and I become very mm -hmm. unhappy and destructive at the end of the day if mm -hmm. I don't. Mm -hmm. Like, so I don't know how much sense this makes, but, mm -hmm. but um, I think this kind of yeah, this this I don't know what it is, but it's this arrogant. I think it's arrogant. This kind of arrogant savior mentality, dressed up as concern for the big picture, concern for all of the human beings and all of the issues in the world, that ends up completely paralyzing you. Right, like it presents itself as care for others. Yeah, in and your kind own of like, eyes. And like selflessness, but it's actually a kind of like megalomania. Uh, and and a, a kind of arrogance in your words. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, I, of I, course, I, we need a systemic change, but like it has to be somehow embedded in like a very everyday life change. Mm, like, it, right. it can't, you can't start to change everything around you. Like, yeah. I mean, in a way, you can, but just the things that are actually around you, if you know what I mean. What, so, what would you say to this? Because I think that. Anyone listening to this who's like not who, who isn't sort of on the vibe that we're on, especially if they're like you know activists or radical or whatever, uh, I think at this point they would probably be thinking, okay, interesting arguments, but how is what we're saying anything different than you know you know all those sort of uh, posh bourgeois people who just love to drink their you know like healthy uh, organic juices all day and exercise all the time and take they take you know. The bourgeoisie, lots of lots of the you know the bourgeois folks take great care of their bodies and their minds, and how is what we're talking about any different than that kind of just uh, bourgeois kind of self satisfaction and self obsession? I have an answer, but I'm curious what you what your answer would be. <laughs> I honestly think that if what you're doing is genuinely caring, kind to yourself, you will not stop with yourself. Right. Like, like I think yeah, I said yeah. that before, like, I think genuinely if what you're doing is not an obsessive, because we have a very dangerous wellness fucking obsession spreading as well. Yes, yes, that, that's what I'm talking and about. And it's yeah. related to the fact that people can't control anything else in their life anymore. And I've been down that path as well. Yeah, exactly. All you can control is maybe what you eat to an extent and like how much you exercise because it's relatively free if you do something free. Yeah. Or, or cheap. Yeah. So it becomes another unhealthy, weird, fucked up thing. Right. And eternally revolving around it oneself uh -huh. in a very unhealthy way. So I, I genuinely think that when what you do is, is, is in a real way a kind, flexible, caring thing, mm -hmm. 
for yourself, then you will never just stop with yourself. And gen- generally, the more, you know, genuinely healthy you are, the more well you feel in your body and mind and whatever the fuck emotions, the less, you know, self-centered you become because there's no need to be. You can actually, if you're in pain, you can't think about other people. You know, I mm. think this is the basis of it. If you're in any kind of a pain, if you're on fire, you can't, you don't give a shit about what the pe- person next to you is doing because you can't because you, you're consumed by this, to, the pain and the struggle that you're dealing with is happening at that moment. So uh, grinding yourself, like driving yourself to the ground through trying to help others is a completely counterintuitive, like it's, it's, it's a, it's a useless process. Mm. Because once you're once right. you once you break down, you become the responsibility of others, and you will. It doesn't matter what yeah. you think, right, whether right. you think people will care for you or not. Someone will do something. You be, so. I don't know. I'm, yeah, no, no, that's 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 good. That's interesting. I I what I think what my answer to that sort of objection would be is that, I think what the key. The key thing is honesty. Hmm. That's like a. a term that my mind always goes back to and I think sometimes I honestly think that you know because our society today is so it's all based on symbols basically I mean it's all like everything is symbolic like no one really produces anything anymore and like in our societies it's like service work right it's care work and it's like information manipulation Mm -hmm. um and also just sort of the actual content of contemporary experience like the the contemporary human being is mostly a kind of thing that exists in the head and it's all about identity. It's all about symbols. And, um, and, and that's, you know, it's no longer, it's, it's much more that today than it was back in the day when our identity was, you know, what we did with our hands on a daily basis, that kind of shit, you know, um, that being the, the case that so much of kind of the contemporary status quo is, is a fundamentally kind of symbolic reality the, I really sometimes think that to be a revolutionary today, yeah, you know, sometimes people ask me like, what, Justin, what the fuck do you mean when you say you're revolutionary? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, like, what the fuck are you doing, you know? Uh, and I say, like, to be a revolutionary, all you have to do is believe that revolutionary change is necessary. And and to be pa- to be a passionate believer in that, in the necessity of that. And if, you're, if you think that revolutionary change is necessary, or even if not even necessary, but if you desire a revolutionary change, you're a revolutionary. And that's all there is to it. And to me, but the, the, the key thing though is, do you really believe that? And are you, are you really honest about that as much as you can be in all the different facets of your life? Mm-hmm. Um, that I, that's the only thing that makes someone a revolutionary. So like if someone says, you know, all the stuff we're talking about, mental wellness and well-being and, 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 and caring for the self and this sort of stuff, uh, someone says like, oh, that just sounds like kind of bourgeois you know, wellness discourse, which is basically just kind of like, uh, you know, uh, people just loving themselves and making themselves happy and comfortable in their own little homes while the rest of society suffers. How is what we are saying different than that? It's only slightly different in the sense that we're doing it as revolutionaries. We're doing it for the purpose of actually making truer and more real relationships, uh, and we're doing it for the per- we're we're doing it in the interest of um, of figuring out how to overthrow the status quo. Whereas, like the typical posh, like organic uh, smoothie drinker, is doing it 
for reasons that are dishonest and that are incomplete and that are um, comfortable with the status quo. Mm-hmm. The only difference is that we're not comfortable with the status quo and we're doing, and we're going to do everything we can to, to overthrow it. Um, uh, but all we can do is everything we can do, you know, uh, yep. like we can't, and we're just taking that on. We're just being honest about that. Do, does that make any sense? Like, yeah, absolutely. so it's like the truth is like the, the actual truth is there's not that much of a difference between like a, you know, like a posh bourgeois, like wellness obsessive and kind of what we're talking about. In some sense, we're kind of saying like, yeah, let's fucking steal all that shit they're mm-hmm. doing. And bring it into radical circles so that we can be healthy too. And maybe we could actually have a chance of creating something powerful enough to overthrow those people who are already doing this uh, without giving a fuck about changing the status quo. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. Um, so that's a, like very slight difference. The only difference would be that we actually say what we actually feel and we say what we actually think should happen to society. And we don't give a fuck. And we, and we say it as loud as we can and as many times and places as we can. Um, and we try to like create liberatory dynamics from it yeah. ra- rather than creating like more money in our like private bank accounts. Yeah. And a kind of a culture of constantly having on your thought those people around you or the things around you, not just yourself. Yeah, like building the commune in some yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. So as you say, like if that is your if that is your kind of baseline, you know, as we t- said about the agendas earlier, like you don't need to go for the agenda. If your baseline is we should be more equal, we should be caring for each other and the environment and everything else around us, then just go and do what you do, but that's going to be your baseline, so your actions will inevitably lead towards that direction. Right, right, right. In a way. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I bet you it has now been, yeah, it has been two hours. It's been two, we've been recording for two hours and 15 minutes. We can keep going, but I do think you have to get to work, don't you? Yes. Um, So we should probably wrap it up. Are you in a rush to stop right now? You have to be there too. Okay. Uh, can we? Can I ask you a question for one for like two minutes? Can we yeah. do that? Yeah. yeah, yeah of course. Uh, well, I just didn't want. I wanted to end it on a not a, abrupt no. Yeah. And I just want to ask you how you feel. <laughs> how do I feel? Was I've, that was that fun? I've I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. Do you feel good now? I feel really not, yeah. I feel very excited. I I liked the fact that we had food and coffee, and it was very pleasant. And, um, I hope it wasn't like a challenging too. I don't think things should just be pleasant and comfortable. I like things to be challenging. Okay, good. good. And I think it was challenging. And, um, how do you feel? Good. Great. I just wanted to make sure I, well, I think I'm feeling like slightly like I'm wondering, I just wanted to make sure that it wasn't like too fast and intense and kind of like analytical. Like when we leave in a minute, are you going to feel like that was dope. I just, we just connected on mad shit and it was exciting and interesting and we like yeah. bonded. I or feel like I want to like initiate these conversations okay, throughout good, good. my day. No, me too. People. Me too. I feel like when I walk out the door in a minute, um, I'm going to feel like, yo, we were totally like onto some shit. Yeah. And I'm like on a, I'm on a, I'm a, we're like in movement on some things that I actually feel in my heart. And that's Definitely. fucking dope. Yeah. yeah. Uh, cool. I just wanted to check in with you about that. I didn't want to like cut it off and, and, and it feel like, uh, just like this like analytical kind of like thing where we were really intense and I think this how do you feel at the beginning of something and at the end is like one very revolutionary thing that do (laughs) and I always really appreciate it yeah it's like that's what you do when you care for people yeah you know you you check with them then you embark on something and then you check that they're right after yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah what you were doing but but I think we're totally on the same page that that was really fun and cool and exciting Mm. uh 
Yeah. And actually, I mean, I feel like I won't even be like, I'll be digesting this conversation for like the next like couple of days, mm. maybe even weeks. Yeah. Um, it was intense though and very fun. And thank you very much for doing this with thank me. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me in your home and like giving me food and stuff. That really, was awesome. It was lovely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>